And we are back, and it is March, and it has been a while. And mm. I, should, I should explain, we were meaning to be back a couple weeks ago. And the reason is because that we did not is because Wade, yours truly, uh, came down with the mother of all respiratory infections. Mm-hmm. Thanks to, thanks to mm-hmm. my loving daughter. Yeah, not the one that people are thinking, but just a no. good, a good <laughs> child, a good child, <laughs> a good child earned respiratory infection from yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah this was just yeah, this was just the meanest thing I, I've had in decades. Anyway. Uh, just wiped me out. My voice was was trashed. I was coughing nonstop. Uh, so sometimes I can push through and I can do a show when I'm when I'm not well. But there was no way with this thing. So um, literally, I am uh, I am just back basically like yesterday. I'm not coughing as of yesterday. Even during our big film week Oscar thing on Sunday, my voice was starting to give out during the show, and I didn't cough, but I was drinking a lot of water to try to lubricate the the vocal cords and. And, you know, it was it was given out, but uh, I, I'm pretty much uh, solidly back now. So, Tim, you were a star at the show on Sunday, <laughs> I have to say. The whole thing was good. It, it, people should it really listen. I guess I guess, the, yeah, people people will have an opportunity, right? This the first time this week and Saturday. Yeah, it'll it'll uh, it'll air on uh, Friday, the 10th. Uh, right. It's Friday. Yes. Friday the 10th mm-hmm. at uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can listen and then it'll be on podcast, but you can listen yeah. to uh, SCPR, which stands for Southern California Public Radio dot org, SCPR dot org. Or if you're in L.A., just go to 89.3 LAist FM. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a good show. You, uh, you you got you got us off on a really great joke and everybody <laughs> else just kind of loosened up and kick back and the audience laughed we did it at the at the uh, classic old movie palace the orpheum downtown which had originally which was originally a, a vaudeville house yeah yeah i did you not know? know that man yeah. Yeah. a real old haunted building that one is man oh man a lot of lot of what do you tell us i think he told us judy judy garland with her family when it was the gum yeah. family you know, family, you know yeah. all on that stage that was kind of really sort of interesting some of the folks yeah. the Marx Brothers on that stage yes. uh, doing vaudeville so you know that's that's a, that's, a, that's a kind of a cool thing we got to do there yes bro. it is yes it is it was good it was it was fun and uh, I, I I enjoyed uh, Justin and Charles <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one that, that was, was a good one that was that was fun little little cat fighting on the stage it was no, nothing wrong with that nothing no. wrong with that at all yeah um, man, we got some wicked obits. Uh, <laughs> let's let's start with the one that is is deeply personal to me. Mm. Uh, Melinda Dillon passed away mm. uh, a few weeks ago. Melinda Dillon, of course, two time Oscar nominee for Close Encounters, got the first ever acting nomination for a Steven Spielberg directed film there. And then another one for uh, Sidney Pollack's Absence of Malice. Mm. Also won accolades for an amazing double role in Hal Ashby's Bound for Glory opposite David Carradine. Slapshot, uh, you know, a Christmas, the mom and a Christmas story, the mom and Harry and the Hendersons. Mm. And, um, you know, Melinda was a was a very, very, very close friend. She and my mother were close. Uh, her son and I, you know, are, are still very, very dear and close friends. She was she was part of our mom squad when, you know, I was growing up. She was one of the there were there was it was just a, a tight knit group of moms and they were mothers to all of us. My mother was one of them. And and Melinda was one of them too. So I, um, I haven't lost just a, a great actress. I've lost a very, very dear friend and, and a member of the family. And that one, that one pricks. Uh, I'm sorry that she never won an Oscar outright, but boy, mm. she gave some amazing performances. Extraordinary performances that really, really uh, heartfelt performance in Absence of Malik, uh, oh. in particular, you know, and, and, uh, and, 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 and even in Close Encounters, she was always just so earthy. 
Melinda. Yeah. And I, I had a chance to meet her a few times over the last 30 years or so because, you know, come to your house and sometimes Melinda Dolan would be there. Right. And we did, we did do a sit down interview with her, uh, for our friend Ray Green, filmmaker Ray yes. R.H. Green, uh, and, uh, about the film that he was making. And that was a, that was a lovely day too. So yeah. Wonderful. It was, it, you know, it was the cry of jazz. That was about the cry of jazz, which was her very first film. She was 19 years old when she made that. And, uh, you know, that was one of the that was one of the first films pre-civil rights era to start challenging the color line and in relationships and on film. And um, it's in the it's now in the in the Library of Congress, uh, the you know, whatever they call it, the protected films mm-hmm. uh, list. And, and that was, you know, she made that was her first film. So it's quite a, a claim to fame there, too. So deeply, deeply missing Melinda. Her last film, by the way, was uh, was a 9-11 film. It was a 2007 film rain over me with adam sandler and don Cheadle. oh yeah which is a very good film not often really seen very powerful film from both of them uh yeah. to my mind beginning what has been uh, uh adam sandler's sandler's uh, long sort of oscar uh yeah. seeking nomination not getting run and yeah. of, of yeah. films where he's just been 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 really sort of good in these movies and haven't gotten uh, any, yeah. any sort of oscar not so he probably should have got that was a really good one you're right it, 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 mike mike binder mike binder wrote and directed that and i remember when she was shooting it you know i remember talking to her i was like how's that movie going is you know she and and you know because it was it, I, I was thinking you're an adam sandler movie and don Cheadle, like they don't Cheadle and sandler don't <laughs> kind of live in the same universe right um but she i remember her telling me she's like no it's it's really dramatic and it's uh it's like sandler came over to Cheadle's side of the fence yeah. for that one yeah and uh boy i i think everybody in that movie just slays it and mike binder just doesn't make enough movies you know i thought that was a really well written directed film but, yeah yeah very heartfelt well, and then here's who else we lost. We lost Hugh Hudson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the never won an Oscar, but directed Chariots of Fire to mm-hmm. an Oscar, and then many other great films like uh, Greystoke. Um, you know, Hudson was uh, was was a was a class act. Very close friend of David Lean's in in his waning days, and uh, I still think Chariots of Fire is just uh, it's a stone cold flawless masterpiece. And you know, I didn't realize he was in his eighties. Like all those directors that, yeah. that 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 came out of that same advertising shop of uh, David Putnam in the in the nineteen sixties and seventies, uh, the only one that's still with us and kicking hard is Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Adrian yeah. Lyne, Adrian Lyne, if he ever decides yeah. to make another movie. But my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys were fantastic. And back they, they, they and they made the kind of movies that you really can't make as feature films anymore. Chariots of Fire, uh, feature film uh, uh, like that. Uh, uh, no, not today. Can't get that done. Uh, uh, Revolution, the one he did with um Pacino. Al Pacino, yeah. yeah. Uh, back that uh, you know, which you know wasn't a big hit in the first place, but nevertheless, uh it'd be tough to get a movie like that. It's all all these guys made movies of a sort that um would be really hard to be to get made as feature films today. Um which is sort of interesting. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, it is. Um Burt Bacharach. I, I you know, I feel like the guy scored my youth. I I <laughs> oh, it's like I think of all these great songs, you know. Like, like all the, uh, you know, it's just, it's Burt Bacharach nonstop. There was like, you know, Barbara Streisand is in Burt Bacharach. And, and, uh, it's just, it's so much Burt Bacharach from, from the 1970s. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, what are you going to do uh, with the bird background? And, and that, and, 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 and like that, that, uh, raindrops from Buster Cashing and the Sundance oh, Kid. Gee whiz, yeah. uh, which is just sort of such a completely out of place song for a cow, for a quote unquote cowboy movie yeah. uh, at the time. But it was, but it was just so, so perfect. And Arthur and, uh, just, and, and that's the thing the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. 
uh, the 90s, I know. <laughs> the 2000s, you know, a, little, a little bit of burnt across all of that. It, it goes for me, it stretches from what do you get when you fall in love, Dionne Warwick, mm. all the way through to uh, Grace of My Heart, the, ama- oh, the amazing film story, where yeah. he wrote all those wonderful songs with uh, with Elvis Costello. And uh, Allison Anders just directed the hell out of that movie and it got no love. Yeah, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Such a, such a great movie, great songs. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, back rack. Uh, Raquel Welch finally died, which I, I didn't think was possible. It like defies physics. But it, 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 uh, these things at, at some point just start to make you no know, sense. So, so Raquel, if you're if you're as old as, as as me and Wade, and certainly if you watch these things and and uh, and and reruns the way we did when we were kids, you saw Raquel Welch oh. in episodes of Mikhail's Navy. Yeah, you right. saw Raquel Welch in episodes of Bewitched. Uh, Raquel Welch was the only thing that could possibly be finer than Elizabeth Montgomery in an episode of Bewitched. And I'm watching Bewitched, and, you know, because I'm obsessed with Elizabeth Montgomery, and I'm like, well, who's that? That is Rocky Welch. It had to be. Who else could it have possibly been? You know, and and then of course, sexy, uh, all of that. Yes, Uh, yeah, yeah. uh, But Rocky Welch, hysterically funny. So funny, Raquel Welch, particularly in her later years, but she always never, was. Never took herself seriously. Never took herself seriously. Didn't take that sex symbol thing seriously. No. She wasn't dumb about it. She knew she was fine, uh, uh, but she never took it seriously. Uh, one of my favorite Raquel Welch movies, uh, 100 Rifles with, uh, yeah. with uh, Jim Brown, right? Fred yeah. Jim Brown, yeah. Jim Brown. Yep. Uh, and uh, and Burton, I love that movie, uh, and that was kind of a big deal, you know, because you know the one of those early black and white movie uh, uh, yeah. uh, kisses there in, in cinema. Uh, that one, uh, but you, you give me Raquel Welch in that episode of Seinfeld back in ninety seven, <laughs> when she, she wouldn't move her arms. <laughs> you know, it's uh, too funny. Here's the thing that's devastating to me is that, you know, realizing that Raquel Welch, who was always just ageless, passed away in whatever she was, 82, 83, something like that. Mm. And you just thought, gosh, I never thought she would age. And then I got to thinking, wait a minute. But Tawny Welch, who was just this beautiful, beautiful clone of her mom Mm. in Cocoon. How old is Tawny? Tawny's 61. Tony's my age, yeah, literally. <laughs> I go, and, and in Cocoon, I was like, ooh, who's that hot young fan? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like oh, yeah, yeah the man. Years, the years fly by. Like zip, zip, zip. It's, oh, man, just, oh, man. it's, it's unreal, the older you get. Uh, Stella Stevens passed. Oh, That's another, another one, you know, another great, uh, beautiful actress and sex symbol of yesteryear, kind of taking, taking the youth out of the equation. Um, Walter Mirisch, mm. at, I think he was 102. Yeah, you have to say the great, you know, (laughs) amazing. I mean, and here's the thing here, you know, Walter Mirisch uh, right to his dying day was was and and, and by the way, Walter Mirisch was still getting credits. He got a credit on uh, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So because he was a producer of the first one. uh, So contractual. Right. Can you imagine you're 101 years old and you're like. I got that clause in that contract. Came through for me in the later days. And if you're smart as Walter Mears, you knew back in 1950. Put that right. clause like I mean, what are we talking? We're talking about we're talking about some like a hot producer, you know? Wonder, oh, uh, uh, the the Pink Panther movies. Yeah. And the thing about the Mears company, uh, the Mears brothers, of whom Walter was the last one, was that they were the first independent producers. In Hollywood, mm-hmm. literally the first. They were the Marvin first uh, uh, Harold. Was it Harold? I think it's Harold. Harold. I think Harold too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were the ones that went to the studios and said, "Why don't we do like this? Instead of you carrying all the water, we'll just make a deal. 
we'll make the movie and you make a deal with us. Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever done that before. Yep. I mean, and the closest was Selznick and Selznick was his own studio. You know, Selznick International Pictures was a studio. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to another studio. The Mirishes, they, they, they just said, you know, it's, it's like airline leasing. You know, why go through all that trouble? We'll take care of it. And their track record just turned out to be amazing. I mean, they were they were phenomenal. It was just it was the birth of American independent producing. Yeah, and, and the mirrors, uh, you, know, you know, Walter in particular gave us some really. You know, Sydney, Sydney Portier, no Walter Mears, no Sydney Portier. That's right. Um, um, Into the night, in the heat of the night. You know, and 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 and, and, and having having the you know the guts, the balls to, at the time to do that, uh, to just to just do that. Uh, that's that's you know that's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of stuff to, that that he they, and his brothers gave us in the um, yeah. They shifted the landscape and mm-hmm. and they made it possible for Billy Wilder in particular to make movies that nobody else was going to let him make. Mm-hmm. And and you know for that, I mean. Uh, the the book on the Mirish contribution to Hollywood has yet to be written, but um, it will be. It mm-hmm. will be. And then lastly, Tim, I mean, premature death, Tom Sizemore, brain aneurysm. That one kind of hits a lot of us hard. I mean, Tom is like our generation. Well, Tom, yeah, literally, literally my age, uh, Tom, uh, uh, 60, 61 years old. And Tom just came roaring, roaring onto the scene. I was theater, did, did, did some of that Chicago theater with those guys onto the scene. And and he really, he really was amazing. And, and it's kind of weird when we look back now at all of those great Tom Sizemore movies. He never led a movie, starred in a movie, uh, but he created characters that defined a lot of movies. Um, and, and Devil in a Blue Dress, uh, uh, playing that playing that, that crooked cop in that white suit across from Denzel Washington, Tom Sizemore just created this this character. Yeah. And, and, and Saving Private Ryan, um, you know, he held the screen uh, with, with Tom Hanks there uh, and everybody else in that movie. He was Tom Hanks's henchman, henchman in that movie. Yeah. If you want to play him that way, you and because, uh, you know, nobody else wanted to save Private Riot. <laughs> you right. know, nobody yeah. wanted to do it except Tom Hanks. But it was Tom Sizemore's character who said, you heard the captain. And uh, and, you know, he, he had that kind of gravitas on the screen, you know, and all that nutty stuff. Heidi Fleisch, this, that and the other thing. Um, uh, yeah, you know, whatever, um, uh, your life goes that way when you, when you have, when you have addictions sometimes and, yep. and, and he had a tough one, uh, uh, good friend of mine, junk filmmaker, um, uh, you know, uh, 20 something years old has made a couple of movies and, you know, put, put Tom in both of them. He may have in the can right now, <laughs> a young man named Trevor. Um, Tom Sizemore's last film, uh, he's, he's, he's editing it and Tom has a fairly large role in it. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, uh, bump, been bumping up against Tom for a long time and, and I'm glad I had a chance to work with him in that capacity at least. Yeah. In Black Hawk Down, uh, it's just, he was, he was one of those iconic actors who, even though he had a persona, even though he had that face and that voice and that attitude, somehow, you know, he, he wound up in this in really wide diversity of movies and he could somehow always make every character his own. And, um, you know, that's, that's a gifted character actor who can do that. And I know he had a really tempestuous life and, you know, Heidi Fleiss and all that stuff. He was, you know, he had, he, he was connected to a lot of crazy stuff and, but, um, it's, it's really a sad loss, a very talented actor and, uh, he will be missed. Mm. 
Well, let's let's get down to uh, to the goods. You know, we uh, we're going to talk about the Criterion stuff right out of the gate, and especially Hollywood Shuffle because we yeah. have a great chance to talk to Robert Townsend. Yes, and and that's going to be uh, separate on the Cine God site. We're we're going to put the put the video up there uh, concurrent with this podcast. And uh, you will see our wonderful, wonderful conversation with Robert Townsend, who just could not be nicer and uh, damn him could not be more ageless. Oh, man. Uh, I Seriously, I, you know, look, I mean, you know, here we are on doing a Zoom interview and looking at the guy and I'm just thinking, what is your damn secret? You have not <laughs> aged a day in 35 years. I don't understand how this works. Like, hasn't put on a pound, doesn't have a gray hair, doesn't have a wrinkle. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's just, it's just, just nuts. It's just, just, just exactly the same. And again, he's our age. You know, you, yeah. he's our age, but he's, but he's there. And he's just great and so magnanimous and funny, 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 funny. Oh, he's so doing funny. characters and voices for us. Um, I, I, you know, I pointed out that if you're paying attention uh, to, uh, to Cooley High, uh, uh, Robert uh, Robert Townsend is in Cooley High. 1975 is Cooley yeah. High. He's a teenager in Cooley High. He doesn't have any dialogue, but he's wandering around that. Bad that that scene in the gym when the, all the kids are shooting yeah. basketballs, Glenn Turner and and everybody. Robert uh, Robert Townsend is in that scene, and it's really, really, really funny. Uh, and, I love it. and and you know he pulled the whole Wayans family along with him, right? I mean, he yeah. wrote Hollywood Shuffle with Keenan, yeah, yeah, and and he pulled Peter Deming along with him. Peter Deming that was one of his first big breaks as a cinematographer, and he goes on to become you know the like David Lynch's go to guy. Mm-hmm. So Hollywood Shuffle is is just such a seminal film, and uh, and in the interview you know i even uh, i even brought up with him i said have you seen uh kevin hart's new uh, film for amazon die hard where he kind of plays himself and he pokes fun at, at his own career and how he can't break out of comedy and become an action star i said you know he's basically what you, you paved the way he's basically basically doing his version of hollywood shuffle mm. um so all this stuff is 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 so much a part of a, a zeitgeist that he just tapped into and it's such a great story how this movie was made. You got you got to watch our interview with it. It's just anyway, Hollywood Shuffle gets the Criterion Collection uh, treatment, and it is just beautiful. There's a uh, a terrific commentary on it by Townsend, mm-hmm. and new interviews with everybody from Rusty Cundeef to uh, Bobby McGee and Anne Marie Johnson. Uh, radio program with uh, where he's interviewed by Elvis Mitchell. It's just it's a wonderful wonderful honor to get uh, a Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, on the Criterion Collection, and it couldn't happen to a cooler, awesome, more awesome, nicer guy. Yep, yep, yep. Wait, yep, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Listen to watch, listen to, and watch the interview. Yeah, uh, and then uh, we also got uh, Mia Hansen loves Bergman Island on Criterion. That's from uh, just a couple of years ago, so that's mm-hmm. also a really wonderful uh, honor for Mia Hansen love. Um, this is uh, where she. This is her seventh film. I can't believe she's made seven films at this point. Anyway, she uh, she went to the uh, the home of Ingmar Bergman to tell this really really interesting intimate uh, family drama uh, in this place where you know all of Bergman's genius happened, where all the inspiration happened, and so there is this kind of a spiritual. Uh, connection that happens there and uh, it's it's a it's a really really interesting very unusual movie comes with a a, um, uh, a new interview with Hanson Love mm-hmm. an interview with Vicky Kripes uh, a short film by cast member Gabby Klinger and um, it's good 
it's really good. It's, uh, Mia, Mia has a film out now uh, called One Fine Morning. Uh, yeah, I've got one thing that she directed. I wrote a piece for AV Club over there if you want to go check it out. It's a very lovely film. Her films are all very sort of personal and, uh, and to one extent or, or another family oriented. This is Bergman Island is a real filmmaker's film. I mean, you know, yeah. if, if you're a filmmaker uh, or in any capacity, you're definitely going to want to see that. So another movie here that uh, I I had never heard of came out a couple of years ago. Uh, I never even heard of the uh, the filmmaker. So this I always enjoy when these things happen. This is by a uh, um, filmmaker by the name of Lemoang Jeremiah Moses, mm-hmm. and the movie is called Resurrection. Uh, sorry, this is not a burial. It's a resurrection. Yeah. It's not a burial. It's a resurrection. Did you see this when when it came around by chance? I, I, no, I, 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 I remember when it came around, but I didn't see it. I didn't get a chance to see it. Did you? Yeah. So it, the the language is Sosotho, and um, it, it's uh, you know it's one of these. I mean, I, I always enjoy movies that that sort of drop me into a completely different uh, cultural background, so that I feel like I've just been transported to another time or another place. And um, this is this takes place in Lesotho and Lesotho is a really interesting country. For those who don't know, Lesotho is basically this little it's a it's its own country, but it sits inside South Africa. Mm hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people just, they, you know, it almost looks like it's a nature preserve. If you look at it on the map, you just see this little dot inside South Africa, but it's ra- fairly substantially sized. But it's not South Africa. Nope. And so I went and researched the history. I'm like, how do you become a, 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 a tiny country inside South Africa, surrounded by South Africa? Like just a, it's like Portugal. How did Portugal get stuck on the edge of Spain? You know, mm-hmm. those kinds of questions. So, so it's a really interesting history. I'm not going to get into it here, but, but this movie made me want to go research that. And, um, this is just an absolutely beautiful, uh, sometimes almost magical realist, um, study of culture and family drama and the reverence for ancestors in, in this fascinating nation and culture, which is very different from South Africa. Mm. I mean, it really does have a, a tribal history independent and, and, and separate from. So um, I, I'm grateful for this. I've discovered a filmmaker that I had never heard of before and who is making, uh, making his mark in the world. And uh, so, you know, this is a director approved edition, has wonderful audio, beautiful transfer um Moses does a commentary along with uh, producer Kate Panzagru and uh, you even get a bunch of short films so you can kind of catch up on Moses's uh, career and it's it's um you know we got a world class filmmaker here who's going to be doing a lot of great work in the future so mm-hmm. it's a really cool film it is once again called This is not a burial it's a resurrection long title beautiful movie mm-hmm. uh you know dude uh man I have such a love hate relationship with Lars von Trier <laughs> Oh, yeah, that trilogy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so Criterion has released Lars von Trier's Europe trilogy, which, to be honest, until they announced this as a trilogy, no part of me actually considered that the element of crime, epidemic, and Europa, Europa were a trilogy. trilogy. I, didn't think, I never thought of them as a trilogy. Element uh, of crime is a movie I liked at the time. I've had to reevaluate it in the wake of von Trier being a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> 1984, epidemic, yeah. Yeah, epidemic, I don't much care for. It's okay. Mm, 1987, and, yeah. And Europa, which was released here as Zentropa, so as to not confuse it with Europa Europa, which was mm. at least the same year. 1991, yeah. Yeah. They're now calling it Europa. It's a, its correct original title. So just know that that is Zentropa. Um, was this high-style thing with the 
freaking angles and the black and white and just this intense look. And I remember just thinking, I don't really know what this is about. I don't get it. <laughs> and, and what's but, funny is these aren't Lars's uh, more problematic films. <laughs> oh, those, are all, those are easy Lars films. <laughs> <laughs> these are easy. That's true. There's no, uh, you don't, you don't have, uh, you know, no, nobody's putting a drill through Willem Dafoe's knee. There's no, there are no rape scenes. There's no, oh gosh. I, it's funny. I always think of, I always think of, uh, Nicole Kidman's story when she was when she was shooting uh, well, the one in the in the warehouse with the, yeah. the uh, Somville whatever it yeah. is yeah yeah and 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 when Russell Crowe was shooting nearby he just came to drop in and pay her a visit and he he walks into the soundstage where there is literally nothing mm-hmm. there's just Nicole Kidman and other actors in costume and then chalk and tape on the floor and walls of an empty soundstage and, and Russell Crowe Russell Crow in his inimitable Crow way walks, walks in the door and takes a look around, takes a beat, looks at the walls, looks at the floor, looks at Nicole and goes, what the hell is this? <laughs> Dogville was it Dogville? Dogville. Right? Dogville. Dogville. Yeah. So these are all real movies compared to that stuff. Yeah. So you know. Uh, yeah. So yeah. There you, know. you go. <laughs> it's uh, funny how that worked out. <laughs> and I mean, look, there are audio commentaries with Von Trier and and other people, obviously, but on on all of these. And I can't for the life of me, I can't listen to him talk anymore. I can, <laughs> I can put up with like ten minutes of the commentary, and then I just think, you go just see a shrink. You are so messed up bro you are so jeez and what's funny is lars is not even like frankly with all after all of that 30 years 40 years 40 years uh, of, of, of that lars is not terribly relevant anymore he's not At all. Dog- well, no. frankly a lot of those dogma guys aren't relevant anymore and he, um, and he still and he still won't leave denmark he's afraid yeah it's well, weird it, it, Probably I, I smart to stay in Denmark. Yeah, well, anyway, look, I don't know. Uh, you know, these, I mean, like there's some other interviews on here and there's, you know, a couple of student films that he, that he made in 1980 and 82 that just, ah, uh, yeah, I, if, yeah, watch them make up your own mind. But um, look, I mean, why is this a trilogy? I, I guess I kind of understand it. I mean, the, the whole box set makes the point as to why this is a, Europe trilogy. I understand it, but it's it's a very very tenuous uh, thematic and career trajectory that that con- that connects these movies. Mm. So uh, I'll I'll go with it. Uh, I'm glad to have them in case I need to pull them out for any kind of an academic reason, like if I'm ever going to teach a class or have to argue with somebody. But man, wow. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Uh, Tim, Romeo and Juliet. Let's talk for a second about Olivia Hussey is and her lawsuit uh, with this. Both of them, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, from years and years and years and years and years and years ago. 1968. Uh, how, so how she, she was like 16. He was like 17 or something like that. Yeah. They, they were both, relatively speaking, underage. And, yep. and uh, you know, a couple of nude scenes in there that, that they say now they were pressured into doing and did not want to do and, and feel like they were, you know, basically abused as children. Of course, uh, who, who directed that, what's his name? The, Zeffirelli. Zeffirelli, Zeffirelli. directed. Yep. Uh, Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting, and, stars, and, and, who are both still around. You know, I don't know. That's a long time, man, uh, to have uh, had these issues and yeah. not said anything. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the things today are what they are today. So maybe that's why they feel empowered to talk about it. A lawsuit, though? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it just, it was saying how you felt then, that, that makes total sense to me. You know, yeah. hindsight is 2020, 20, and, and I kinda, I'm kind of okay with that. But a lawsuit, not quite yeah. sure that that makes any sense to me. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing the film uh, as part of it. You know, they showed it here at the, at the local Lemley as part of a Shakespeare series. And I was in elementary school, uh, you know, and, and I remember they kind of dragged us to go and expose us to Shakespeare. Mm. And that's fine. You know, we saw Taming of the Shrew and a few other Shakespeare movies. I think, you know, Olivia's Hamlet was part of the series. Uh, I don't think the school officials did their research into Romeo and Juliet and realized that these uh, first and second graders were going to be seeing some nudity. But uh, I remember at the time I was grateful for it. Yeah, I just thought it was all wonderfully, wonderfully sophisticated. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, just, I didn't see this movie until in, until I was a teenager. Uh, but but at the, I just thought it was all wonderfully sophisticated. I didn't I didn't think it was. But you know, that all of these things uh, again, it's, it's it's that hindsight thing and, and it's this new lens. But that's the reason why I, I have to wonder whether it makes sense for yeah. there to be a lawsuit about it. Thoughtful consideration of, of, of the time, the period, and the pressures, that's all fine with me. Uh, but I'm not sure that we should be suing people 50 years later. Well, there is, uh, there's a lot on this, uh, relatively speaking, considering that at the time they didn't really have you know, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff to go from. There is an excerpt from the 2018 documentary Franco Zeffirelli directing from life. Mm. I wish they had the entire documentary because it should be here. But the excerpt is fine. Um, there are Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting interviews that were conducted pre-lawsuit between mm-hmm. 67 and 2016, and that's really, really terrific. And then a, a lovely essay by uh, Ramona Ray, who really kind of, you know, hits the sweet spot on the film. So, uh, relatively speaking, some some really good extras there. Nothing addressing the lawsuit, however, mm-hmm. which... You know, we'll have to play out and we'll see where that goes. Uh, the has been dead for years. Not that long, but uh, you know, 2019, yeah. 2020, something like that. Yeah, about four or five years ago, I think. Yeah, that's something like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, two films here uh, that are really, really worth uh, paying attention to from uh, Marguerite Duras, the great mm. French um, not just filmmaker, but author and, you know, just an extraordinary individual, just a, you know, a, a, one of the major literary and artistic figures in the history of France. And uh, Marguerite Duras is, you know, has written books that were turned into movies. She's made her own movies. Anyway, uh, these are a couple of films that she made in uh, 1975 and 1977 called India Song and Baxter, Vera Baxter. Mm. Um, both of them shot you know, square frame kind of Academy aspect ratio. India song is even it's one, three, seven. It's like really square. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know what? I think um, it, 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 if you want to appreciate Marguerite Duras, you, you almost have to combine what she wrote with what she made mm-hmm. uh, in terms of films. And I think um, seeing these and then reading her literature will give you a perfect snapshot of who she was. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to really explain these movies. Um, but, it's worth checking out. You know, you really, you really, uh, you, you get an amazing snapshot of somebody who just had this. And I hate to use the word postmodernism because it's, 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 it's tarnished significantly by mm. the philosophical approach, but the aesthetic of postmodernism in French cinema is one that she certainly embraced and you can see it in these films. So, uh, rec- highly recommended there. Um, and then, uh, we've got, uh, on 4k, Dazed and confused, mm. uh, which is which is is nice. Finally, getting this from you know the, uh, I don't know that it's it was beautifully shot enough in the first place in 1993 to warrant a 4K, but <laughs> uh, you know what Richard Linklater kind of came storming on after Slacker and 
He gave us Matthew McConaughey in this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, he gave us uh, Parker oh. Posey. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, a lot of people made their debuts in this film, so it is kind of a seminal movie. Um, does it hold up for you? No. <laughs> Just to put it real quick and fast, you know, but a lot of that, a lot of that, that, that early '90s wandering around, slacker, Gen Xer, uh, chit chat movies. Yeah. You know, these people are just wandering around talking. That philosophy. Yeah. And when in, in watching it from the perch of a, you know, frankly, a sixty-year-old, I want to smack all these kids. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was. I, you're right. Gave us like Cole Hauser's walking around this movie. You got Anthony Rapp walking, Adam Goldberg walking around this movie. You know, all of them walking around this movie, but. It, but back then, watching this movie, thinking that this was really bright, and it's, and it's, it's Richard, you know, whole and complete director, every word written by him. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, Ben. Uh, and and now, you know, I I, I every, every kid in this movie, I'd slap. Shut up. Yeah. Just shut up. <laughs> all the crap coming out of your face is retarded. Yeah. Uh, that's that's. But that said, it's fun to watch. Just to do that, <laughs> just, 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 you know, Richard Linklater at 20, whatever he would have been in 19, whatever. Yeah. He's old, he's younger than me. Yeah. So he would have been, I don't know, 20 something. Yeah. Uh, philosophizing through all of this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and so, but it's, it is an interesting time capsule though. It's an interesting time, time capsule yeah. of 30 years ago. I, I will say, and, and it takes place in 1976. And, yeah. and I'm just going to say, for movies that take place in 1976, my preferred film is The Spirit of 76, yeah. which, of course, is a hilarious time travel disco comedy. Uh, those, are, those are those uh, Super Trooper guys? The two Super Trooper guys? No, right? it was directed by Rob Reiner's little brother. And Sophia Coppola did the costumes. And it was produced by uh, uh, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain's daughter, Susie Landau. So it was like basically all these Hollywood second generation, uh, you know, brats that got together and said, let's make a movie about, you know, and then, you know, it's got, I remember this Mark's mother's bar. It, it's got it, Le- oh, yeah. Leif Garrett is in it. Uh, uh, Olivia Dabo, uh, David Cassidy. It's basically about a bunch of people like like Carl Reiner has a cameo at the beginning. You know, the premise of it. It's 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 a it in the future. A, a magnetic cloud passes over the earth and degausses all of history. <laughs> and and so they need to get into a time capsule and go back to 1776 to rediscover the Constitution. But the 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 time capsule, the time travel machine malfunctions and lands them in 1976. So it's all disco era. And it's just freaking hilarious. <laughs> I remember that movie. About 1990 or so. That, man, I, I, I totally forgot about that. That's, that's a good one. It used to be a midnight movie at the New World. I used to go to see that thing like at least three three times a year. It was just hysterical. Anyway, um, here we're talking about a movie that's not even being released this week. So <laughs> the the best thing from Criterion this week by far is uh, the 4K release of uh, Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy. Oh, yeah. I just think is one of the all time. This is the greatest trilogy ever made. Uh, blue, white, and red based on the colors of the French flag. Um, blue with maybe the greatest performance Juliette Binoche has ever given on screen. Uh, it, you know, blue won the, um, blue won the Berlin film Festival. Yeah. Blue won the Berlin film festival. White won Venice and red was, it was, uh, 1994 at Cannes. Everybody thought he's going to get the triple crown. It's going to win the Cannes film festival. Everyone loved it. It was phenomenal. And then Clint freaking Eastwood goes up there and goes and the palm door goes to pulp fiction and people lost their minds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and they lost their minds so quentin tarantino uh much as we love quentin 
kind of feel like uh, that year he he stole Kieslowski's triple crown possibility. But yeah. anyway, um, all I'll say about this, and there are extras galore in here. The 4K is just thunderously good. Uh, a magnificent transfer. I, I just can't believe this. these have not been a part of the criterion. They have been, but not on 4K. But not on 4K. It's the 4K. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's the 4K. Uh, I was actually one of the last people to interview Kieslowski before. Oh, he died. yeah. I remember you. That was, that was an interview that our good friend uh, Ziggy set up here uh, in LA. And, uh, you know, I, it, it was, it was just a miraculous hour that I sat there with him because the guy, I've never met someone so revered in cinema who was so absolutely unimpressed with himself. Mm hmm. That's the, I mean, that's the thing about Kieslowski is you could sit down and you treat him like he's a god of cinema and he will look at you like get a life, Just <laughs> get a life. I'm a failed author. If I had any if I had any motivation, if I had any skills, I'd be writing novels and not making movies. So don't put me on a pedestal. That was basically his attitude. Extraordinary. Uh, so and I just love that. Um, and, you know, these these films are just astonishing. They changed my life. And uh, so go check them out on 4K. It's worth upgrading. Absolutely. Let's, hit, let's hit some arrow stuff here real quickly. The House That Screamed. Tim, do you have any recollection of The House That Screamed? The House That Screamed. Uh, give me a little refresher real quick. Okay. The House That Screamed uh, is is one of these just uh, absolutely. Well, I don't want to be I don't want to be overly cruel about it. That's, um, that's, that's an Italian film. Is that what it's, it's from that? It's Spanish. It's oh, Spanish. Spanish. Okay. Directed by Narciso Ibanez Serrador. And it's a it's like Spanish schlock cinema from that, you know, uh, moment when Jess Franco was inspiring far too many people to make knockoffs of his already bad <laughs> movies. Um, you know, I, I'll just say this about it. It's. <laughs> <coughs> Take your time. The lingering, the lingering residue yeah, of my yeah. uh, Lily Palmer is in that movie. I know, I know. It's, it's just, it's like it's a knockoff Jess Franco movie, and I know it has a following, and I know there's kind of like a feminist element to it in some people's eyes. But anyway, this thing is loaded with uh, extras. Um, it uses branching to give us the American cut. And I, I was like, oh, that's right. You can do branching. Like that was the big promise of DVD and Blu-ray in the early days, 20 years ago. Mm. And I think one movie ever used it. This is like the second one. This is the second time that they've used branching to actually deliver a, 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 a different cut instead of just an entire separate transfer dropped on here. No, 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 no. You can you can switch between the 105 minute uh, cut called The Finishing School and the 94 minute uh, American theatrical cut called The House That Screamed. You can use branching to, to do that. And that's pretty great. That. So, yes, thank you for finally putting that technology to use after 20 years and uh, a lot of interviews and, you know, other tidbits here. But ultimately, I mean, I look at it and I'm like, ah, it's a Jess Franco movie that Jess Franco didn't make. Mm -hmm. um, we've also got uh, a Quentin Dupieux movie called Incredible But True. This is the guy that made Rubber, that movie yeah. on a tire. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's, yeah, I think he's out of his mind. Um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, this is another Quentin DePure movie. They're all kind of weird and quirky, and they don't make sense to me. Um, this one, you know, is is called Incredible but True. It's got a decent cast. Yeah, I, been I, I like Alan Shabbat and and uh, you know Leia Drucker are, are are fine. But I just it's you know what it's just weird. <laughs> That's it what is. he does. It's it's just weird. It's kind of it's sort of um it's sort of a haunted house movie, but not really. Like people move into a house and, you know, there's a tunnel in the bay. Anyway, it, it's just it's just him just, you know, doing what he does and being weird and odd. And 
when you have good actors, I guess they 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 sell it somehow. Mm. Um, Lucas Moodyson. Oh, uh, yeah, we got the full collection here. Container, Lilia Forever, uh, Together, A Hole in My Heart, uh, Blanking Amal, Man, yeah, We yeah. Are the Best. Uh, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a Moodyson fan. No. But he is a, definitely an auteur. He definitely has kind of a weird, cynical uh, sense of optimism um, about the world. There's, there's, it's almost an absurdist humanism is maybe a better way to put it. It's absurdist humanism. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, either you like his stuff or you don't. Lilia Forever may be the one that I think is the most accessible for me. Um, but look, all of these things on here, it's a great box set. Arrow has uh, pulled out all the stops. They understand that he is a relevant filmmaker. And Mm -hmm. this is the first time that anybody has ever actually put his entire body of work together. And it comes with a big old booklet telling you why you should care. Um, let's see last four here. I'm going to hold on to the, uh, martial arts titles for the end because I'm particularly fond of those, uh, dot com for murder by Nico Mm -hmm. master Did you see this by chance? I did not see that one. So I, I, I only saw a little bit of it. It's a Nastasha Kinski movie. Uh, you know, um, I kind of feel like it's, it's trying to do so Nastasha Kinski's, you know, um, she's had a skiing accident. She's in a wheelchair and, the, the this sets this sets up kind of a a digital era thriller that wants to be a little Hitchcockian, kind of has one foot in Rear Window a little bit, mm. um, maybe another foot in some De Palma films. Uh, I um, I don't know. I you know I'm not that fami- I'm not that familiar with Masterakis, but uh, it, it you know i it, interesting cast you got a little bit of a you got, i mean oddly you have huey lewis and roger daltrey and roger daltrey nicolette sheraton who who was like a, you know one of the just yeah. just the thing this is early 2000s this film yeah and of course natasha kinski who knew who was another thing so ridiculously beautiful people and roger daltrey in that 25 seconds between I, tommy and 2002 when he tried to be an actor i feel like if this movie were made today it would be much less hitchcockian and a lot more cynical Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's at the time it was made, it, it was, it's, it's sort of like the net. Remember when Sandra Bullock made the, how much does that movie resemble anything? Like are, we're even more paranoid about the, the internet. Now you watch that movie and you go, Oh, they weren't, they, they didn't know the half of it. They didn't know the half of it. Uh, so I kind of feel like this is, it, it's, it's more, it's more old school thriller than it is internet. And it, it, as a result, it kind of feels a little bit dated, but mm. you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good cast and it's, it, it's probably a, a, an artifact of a kind, uh, the vagrant, I don't get this at all. Um, but you know, it has a following, uh, this is a, a cult film made in the nineties by Chris Wallace, who, who is the guy that originally, uh, designed the, the actual, um, uh, what was the name of the gremlin in Gremlins? Uh, oh yeah, that little uh, yeah, yeah, little yeah, guy. The actually, yeah, anyway, yeah. He, he did that actual like a uh, Zigbig or whatever that little mm. nut nut thing's name was. Um, he designed that, so he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a creature effects guy. And um, so Chris Wallace, you know, directed this, and it's kind of a throwback um, black comedy slash exploitation. Uh, homage of sorts bill paxton's in it michael ironside yeah it belongs to that moment um you know but i mean it's about a vagrant 
it's just you know uh and and it's it's nasty and kind of gross and and disgusting and a little bit exploitative and uh almost more of a, a an overlong student film that's a little bit experimental um and given today's current homeless crisis it does it it really kind of feels significantly like whatever side of that issue you're on you're probably going to be offended by this on some <laughs> level but anyway uh it has a cult following so there's that. And then on the martial arts end, man, uh, a couple of great things here. So oh, Angela Mao, the amazing Angela Mao in a double feature of Lady Whirlwind and Hapkido. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. This is just so awesome. Um, uh, it's just so, so cool. Angela Mao was a uh, kind of a major Shaw Brothers figure. And uh, she came from, you know, she, she was Taiwanese, came out of uh, a lot of... Uh, um, opera, you know, like Jackie Chan and then Sammo Hung did. That's basically her background. Anyway, um, and these movies are just, they are just so amazing. Absolutely amazing. Sammo Hung shows up in here. Carter Wong shows up in here. Um, Hapkido is especially cool because Hapkido, you know, is a Korean martial art made, you know, create, basically pioneered by Bong Su Han. Mm-hmm. He didn't make any Hong Kong movies. He didn't make um, Shaw Brothers movies. I mean, he made like one movie with Ed Parker here in the U.S., which is not very well made. Um, so to to see Hapkido introduced into a kind of a kung fu genre is really something special. And that's a that's just a great, great movie. It really is. Uh, Hapkido is a terrific movie. And uh, Lady Whirlwind, you know, fantastic. There's a wonderful couple of commentaries on here. Uh, and then a third commentary with Sam Dean. But the, the first one with Frank DeJang and uh, Bobby Samuels is really awesome. And then the second with Frank DeJang and Michael Worth is, is uh, equally as good. Sam Dean is more of a kind of the artistic commentary. But the mm. two that really, really get into uh, the meat of the movie is uh, the first two with uh, Frank DeJang. And uh, there's there's a new interview with uh, Angela Mao too here, so uh, it, it's all it's all really awesome. Both uh, of those I movies from 1972. It. Angela was just so ridiculously beautiful. I'm looking at oh, some the pictures. Best. Just just you heard those eyes, or it's just the just, best. Yeah. And then if you if you still want some more uh, Sammo Hung, then you can watch Millionaires Express. Yeah, uh, Millionaires Express is uh, is one of my all time favorite Sammo Hung movies. It really is just uh, absolutely terrific. So much great action. Such a fun story. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it maybe the best of the, the Kung Fu in the wild West scenarios. And, um, there've been a number of those There's a little bit of friction between Jackie Chan and Samo over, uh, once upon a time in China, uh, and the West, which starred, uh, Jet Li and, uh, Shanghai noon, which was Jackie Chan's story and, and over, you know, whether Jackie ripped off Samo or Samo ripped off Jackie, they resolved that because mm-hmm. they're brothers, mm-hmm. but I don't think any of those movies are as good as Millionaire's Express. I think Millionaire's Express is just absolutely a load of fun, tons of great action, incredibly well-made. Got to check it out. Uh, that also from Arrow, Samo Hung, just killing it here and such a great cast a lot of other great people richard norton cynthia rothrock yun boo uh <laughs> dick way it's just it's fantastic rosman kwan the amazing rosman kwan absolutely fantastic uh best thing that richard norton has done in hong kong cinema outside of um uh jackie chan's uh city hunter mm. 
which was kind of a wild, crazy thing. But anyway, every Saturday afternoon, uh, that 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 great, uh, fun cop show that Samo had here in the United States when they be with oh, Sam yeah. and Arsenio Martial Law, Martial Law, uh, Kelly Hugh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, that was one. It was, that's, it's got to be like middle late nineties or something like that. Whenever that was. That was like that all here, but like it was a, it was it was a fun show, and it, that really kind of introduced Samo to it the did. greater uh, public. And, 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 and you know, I always like to tell people, um, you've seen Samo before. You saw Samo long before that. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, in the very opening part of End of the Dragon, where uh, Sam Samo's the the fat guy is getting beat up in the in the class. Uh-huh. <laughs> Samo's in that movie for like like. 40 seconds he's just getting the, the the crap kicked out of him but it's it's fine um one 4k or tv what do you want to jump to uh let's let's, let's knock out some 4k if you, right. if you if you're yeah you're let's, let's talk about john the john wick stash box this steelbook stash box of uh chapters one through three so th- this is this nice beautiful collector's box set with just everything to do with john wick and more I mean, you know, it's 4K. It's uh, you know, freaking digital copy on it. I mean, it's got the booklet. It's got the whole nine yards. You know what this this does not have, however, this this 4K John Wick chapters one through three. What's it missing? The fourth movie that comes out in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? So, so I feel I have a hard time recommending this because honestly, in three months. There's going to be a new box set that includes the fourth film. And that's kind of irritating. Look, if you had told me that those John, I love that first John Wick film, uh, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly. Second John, you had to sell me on that. You had to get me. I did not want to go to those movies and you pushed me to it. You know, and uh, but diminishing returns by me as they get a little bit more, you know, people. But hey, it's a franchise and people love it. I think it is hilarious. And, when I, and I, I finally, you know, it, it, you're on your advice and I finally had to catch up because I had to review the third one on the radio. And I was like, oh, crap. So and all right, Tim says watch him. So I've watched the first one. I watched the second one, the third one, all back to back to back. And, and it, which is kind of cool because they all take place basically on the same day. Yeah. Like each one picks up the second the previous one ended. Which makes it hilarious that this guy just cannot catch a break. Everybody is just shooting at him. Nonstop. It's just an unrelenting kind of uh, uh, scenario, and it and and it all starts because of a dog. You shouldn't have messed with his puppy. <laughs> they shouldn't have messed with his puppy. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah, well, so you know. anyway, I mean, I am I'm kind of on board the whole John Wick thing now. I, I admit it. I'm on board. That's Keanu. You know. You know how I feel about Keanu. So yeah. there we go. Uh, Devotion, the other Top Gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. another um, really good performance from, from John J- Jonathan Majors there. That 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 kid is just and and look, the movies the movies are are are, are fine. Yeah, the the Ant Man movie, he's he's yeah. uh, uh, who's he playing? Kang. Kang, uh, yeah, and, and, and that man, and he's doing Shakespeare while everybody else is in an Ant Man. movie. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this kid is, sw- is swinging, and, and, and of course Creed, he's uh, he's he's really eating up the scenery in that one too. And and he's and here he is in in Devotion, opposite Glenn Powell, who mm-hmm. was opposite Tom Cruise in you know Top Gun. Uh, so Glenn Powell just can't get away from airplanes. I'm kind of surprised that he did this. But I'm glad he did this because he's really good in it. Um, so basically, Jonathan Majors uh, stars as the in the true story of mm-hmm. Jesse Brown, who was the uh, first black aviator in in the history of the Navy and a really significant figure 
in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And um, this is this is quite a story. I you know, I, it's amazing to me that it's taken it this long to, to breach the screen. But it's really, really beautifully done. I think it's a solid story. It's an old fashioned Hollywood melodrama. It's a true story. And 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 Majors and Powell know exactly what they're doing. Like Glenn Powell in particular, <clears throat> he doesn't he doesn't get stuck playing the smarmy guy, no. the attitude guy, like in Top Gun. Like he really gets to 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 have those scenes with with Jonathan Majors where they're bonding and they're talking about life and existential stuff and death and you know um the fl- and the flying scenes are terrific. yeah good yeah good early uh, yeah you uh, aircraft carrier stuff you know tail hook stuff and yeah and, uh, which is very different than the, than the stuff that's going on in top oh gun, my gosh yes uh and uh, but yeah it, it, and, you know it's just a classic story drama well made uh i thought it might get a little bit of um uh, award season love not a whole lot but you know it, it was a tough award season yeah, you know, it was it's a tough award season and and oddly enough they didn't really put anything into this thing. They didn't put any any juice behind it and I blame Paramount. That's that's uh they they, they could have put a little bit of heat behind this. Um but they didn't. And that's really unfortunate. You know, uh, awards campaigns are are an art. Um speaking of Remains of the Day gets gets 4K treatment. I'm thrilled about this. I can yeah. add this to the Movies Anywhere collection. This uh, this is a perfect movie for me. This is my favorite uh, Merchant Ivory film by far. You and I have talked about this. The the book scene in this movie, oh man, is just one of the most perfect pieces of cinema ever. It is you know Anthony Hopkins, the look on his face mm. holding that book as Emma Thompson peels it out of his fingers is I just, I want I want to cry just talking about it. It's it's just so poetic it's it's absolutely exquisite uh, th- that scene in particular it's just such a uh, just just such a moving and beautifully oh. written screenplay um um uh Ishiguro, he has a uh, what is he he wrote um um uh, bill nye film yes. living living right well what, what's what's nominated that well bill nye's a nominated and Ishiguro's nominated as well he's nominated for adapted yeah. screenplay right and this is what this is the thing that I think is so beautiful about Remains of the Day um, is that it is considered such the the perfect atypical story about what it means to be British. And of course, you know, it's it's the story of servants in the home of a, a wealthy, um, a wealthy lord just on the eve of World War Two. Christopher mm-hmm. Christopher Reeve shows up as an American politician in this thing. And and a lot of people don't realize a lot of the British aristocracy supported Hitler and the Nazis before the war broke out. They thought mm-hmm. that they were they had a great, a wonderful a wonderful vision of society and utopia that they were aspiring to and that it, they, they really need to have support. And and that whole milieu of British aristocracy obviously came crashing down when the mm. war started. And this is about the upstairs, downstairs politics of that based on a novel by Kazuo Ishiguro. But it is so British and yet it's based on a novel mm. by an Englishman of Japanese extraction produced by an Indian, directed by an American and screenwritten by a German, Ruth Parajabvala, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, obviously had been married to an Indian. So these are all people who are coming from outside British culture with experience from outside the UK. And, and they're kind of inhabiting it from the inside with this amazing British cast. And they've created the perfect portrait of what it means to be English in the pre-war period. Mm-hmm. And all the contradictions that that entails, especially for those who are who are you know working in service. So I mean, it's just it's an unbelievable movie. It's just f- absolutely freaking flawless. James Ivory has never made a better movie. My wife would kill me for saying that because it's <laughs> her favorite. But um, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson coming on the heels of Howard's End. 
uh, and just just killing it. Just absolutely killing. It's a beautiful film. Great extras on here. You get the uh, James Ivory, Ismail Merchant, and Emma Thompson commentary previously released. All the other stuff's previously released. But you're getting this for the 4K, and it's magnificent. Yeah. Uh, Tim, what else on here? Uh, mentioned Where are we Puss going? Boots, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Well, it's funny because uh, we talked about that at, at the at the show. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, this, we did. This, along with you know, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio and all the other movies. Yeah. This, so here, another Puss in Boots movie. And and, and and Charles had a great comment about the returning to the Shrekiverse, yeah. <laughs> as, 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 as it were, which, which gave us Puss in Boots. There's so much Puss in Boots. I mean, beyond just the feature films. Yeah. This one, in this one, uh, you know, you puts realizes that he's used uh, all but one of his nine lives, and and he's a little bit, you know, worried about about uh, how to live uh, his life out a little bit more safely since he's only got one life left. And you know, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's what's going on in the film. It's it's about the same as as, as all of them. They're fun if you like them uh, and, and enjoyable, but they might scare your child. <laughs> uh, I got some exploitation stuff. I'm going to kick out here real quickly. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is out in 4K. Believe it or not uh one of them is regular one of them is a steel book look honestly i don't know why you need this movie in a steel book i don't know why you need this movie in 4k i don't know why you need this movie in anything other than a scratchy dirty 16 millimeter dub in your basement <laughs> it kind of works better that way the only place it should be watched yeah it, you know what yeah like invite some friends over go down in a dark dank basement and put crank up the 16 millimeter projector and it'll be scarier than in any any other form uh, but that said, look, they they make a good uh, attempt at kind of giving it the 4K treatment. I don't think this really warrants it. There's just it was shot. I think it was shot in 16. But, yeah. You know, um, OK, fine. 4K for the for the obsessives. Um, you know, the, the the steel book and the other one, they all have the same stuff on them. It's, there's a bonus disc, it's a Blu-ray bonus disc. And then the feature film with, um, you know, some uh, some some uh commentaries on the four commentaries and all on the main uk uh 4k disc um none of them really kind of blow my mind they're all previously recorded toby hooper um that one is probably the most interesting but um you know uh it's the texas freaking chainsaw massacre yeah doesn't you know it hasn't changed in all these years it's got one scary moment when when leatherhead slams the door and the rest of the movie is just horrible yeah. um speaking of jess franco earlier <clears throat> a couple of jess franco movies on 4k for some reason because those marquis de Sade. yeah the marquis de Sade things justine and uh what the what they're now calling philosophy in the boudoir <laughs> obviously known as eugenie i don't know why they changed the title on that one these are both from blue underground um Look, uh, you know, these are maybe Jess Franco's most serious films, and that's not saying much because it's Marquis de Sade. But he went and he made these two films based on the material of Marquis de Sade. And, uh, you know, they're predictably erotic and dated and uh, and risque. And, and you know, they have his his unique sensibilities all over them. So, um, I you know, nothing that I tons of extras here. Audio commentary from film historians and uh you know, a lot of other fun stuff. Um, but if you're not a Jess Franco fan, they're going to be meaningless. Mm. Decent transfers, though. You know, Jess Franco movies are never great looking, but the colors are kind of garish. And yeah. Something. 
Um, you know, uh, training day, Tim, we got interviewed about this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Denzel Washington's training day from back yeah. in the day, which was a, you know, a, a very interesting film. Antoine Fuqua, who's who's got Emancipation out right now, <laughs> running around. It's funny because I watch Emancipation. I kept thinking about myself, this is training day. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> only, you know, what the guy said during the, during the slavery was, was the same movie. Training, yeah, yeah. And look, kind of, kind of, Ethan Hawke had had a career as a child before this, obviously, right? Yeah. All of those, all of those, those kid movies. But this was the movie that sort of made him a grown up actor. Uh, 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 training day opposite Denzel Washington, you know, uh, having to do, having to do it. What's on that sucker? Do we get anything good? You know, um, yeah, it's, 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 it, what it doesn't have is the, uh, the featurette that we were interviewed for. Oh really? Uh, no, it doesn't have that. That that was for the other oh, for uh, uh, that little that that uh, the one from on the more recent one. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. we're on that one. They don't. Oh, they don't things, yeah. I wish they had put it on this one, but yeah. uh, <clears throat> nonetheless. Anyway, no, there's a there's a commentary from uh, Antoine Fuqua, which is really good. I mean, Fuqua is a very very. Um, here's the one thing I like about his commentaries, and they're all kind of like this, which is that he is. He is much better at self-analysis. He's much more self-aware as a filmmaker than a lot of them are. Mm. Like, I love John Borman's commentaries, but John Borman cannot sort of look at himself from the outside to save his soul. Mm. So you get these very kind of existential, personal, you know, memoirs. Whereas Fuqua can look at this and in a very detailed way, he can say, you know, when we shot that scene, I wish I had done this or I'm glad I did this. And he kind of frames the moment for you in a in a in a way that a lot of a lot of commentaries don't. So it, it he's a useful guy because he's very much a technician and he's very self-aware and his his approach is very technical. So I appreciate his audio commentaries. Um, there are also some additional scenes and alternate ending that doesn't work. And, uh, you know, a couple of featurettes and music videos. That's about it. But, um, you know, it's still it's beautiful 4K transfer. And I'll damn if he doesn't Denzel doesn't just fill the screen with that performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larger than life. Larger than life. Yeah. Well, you know, got that got that Oscar uh, 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 <laughs> for so very good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, got a couple of uh, steel books as well that were have been released from Sony in tandem with each other. They're kind of trying to tie these two films together. I'm not quite sure why. But anyway, it's a it's a twofer. Uh, the Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas, mm-hmm. and Anthony Hopkins, and then Harrison Ford in Air Force One. Mm. I guess they're both hero movies in which um, bad guys are being fought. That's the closest I can draw a parallel I can draw between these two. Uh, Mask of Zorro is a fun film. I still like it. I still think it works. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones is great. Anthony Hopkins somehow makes me believe that he's Mexican. I don't know how. <laughs> um, it, it really, it's it's kind of a miracle. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's this is this is Zorro for our generation, and I yeah. appreciate I appreciated that. I appreciated that it kind of found a way to to update this very dated character. Air Force One. Man, uh, you know what? Gary Oldman doing that Russian accent is just beyond embarrassing. I, just, <laughs> I can't. Madaraja. It's like it's I'm supposed so to. I'm supposed to Wolfgang Peterson's ear. A lot of this, dude, a lot. Of, so what are we talking here? It's 97. The Mass of Zorro is 98. Yeah. A lot. Martin Campbell, you know, like, you know, sort of a classic. Sort of, a lot of this stuff is tough today. 
a lot of yeah. this stuff today. It, it, but, it, hey, it, Masters of you really kind of gave us that young Catherine Zeta Jones. She was, yeah. you know, yeah, kind of fresh uh, for Masters of uh, yeah. right, right, right from British TV. Yeah. Just right from British TV. I mean, Wolfgang Peterson is phoning this in totally. He, he's basically giving us, um, here's what this is. You know, this is basically giving us uh, in the line of fire crossed with Das Boat on a plane. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Seriously. I mean, you know, he directed in line of fire. He directed Das Boat and he thought, oh, well, you know, why don't I just actually like not just a, a Secret Service agent, but I'll literally have the president and he'll be on the submarine, except we'll make it a plane. <laughs> It's, you, you know, it's funny about it. there's a lot of a lot of folks walking around that movie at the time. Yeah. Just 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 you know, in the movie, uh, William H Macy is walking around that yeah. movie. Uh, Dean Stockwell is uh, Jurgen. Uh, there's all kinds of people walking around that movie that you don't Glenn close. Glenn Close, right? Wendy Crewson walk around that you just weren't thinking about at the time. But you know, there they are <laughs> in that movie. And, and when I look at this, I'm always reminded of what Mark Kaiser used to always say about his mom, which is he goes, you know, my mom only likes one kind of movie uh where harrison ford saves the world <laughs> that's it well, now he's saving the old west uh yes. so, you know, apparently something. oh boy yeah. uh so let's talk for a second about david cronenberg's crimes of the future uh mm. with vigo mortensen and christian stewart and leah sadu uh this movie i mean for a cronenberg movie which normally they go they, they i mean they become major award season contenders yeah um you know, uh, this went nowhere. No, yeah. Look, I, I wonder if 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 uh, that Cronenbergian uh, sort of style of creepiness, and this is a creepy ass movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's, all his films are. Um, uh, I don't know, Christian. I don't know. Uh, maybe that just doesn't play the way it used to uh, with contemporary audiences. You know, uh, the, our you know our generation who go back to you know all those existence and and uh, and all those creepy Cronenberg movies. Maybe maybe the kids today. Or just not into it. His, his, he's got a kid out there making creepy movies too. So maybe they're. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the premise here is also one that I think might freak people out a little bit. It's, it's like a, a near future thing where um, people are basically it's, it's, it's sort of about performance art and human mutation. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's body modification and a lot of, a lot of subjects that I think are just generally off putting to people because mm -hmm. uh, they're hitting a little too close to the bone in some respects. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Cloverfield. We got a Cloverfield anniversary release, mm -hmm. uh, 15th anniversary. Can't believe it's been that long on 4k. Um, you know, great commentary by Matt. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting to look at in hindsight. Uh, this was the film that resurrected his his directing career. He hadn't mm. done a feature film since The Pallbearer, uh, which I got some fun stories about. But he came out of uh, doing a lot of TV for a lot of years. JJ and Brian threw him a bone with this, and it got his career back on track. Next thing you know, it's you know Planet of the Apes and now The Batman. So um, Cloverfield kind of started it all. It was also the first of the found footage movies. Mm. Uh, how do you think it holds up? Not bad, and, and, and it actually feeds into the sequels fairly nicely. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a nice foundation for those sequels that came along. It's another one that gave us a, you know, a, a lot of um, you know young folks who went on to do some really interesting. Lizzie Chaplin, <laughs> Chaplin. And T.J. Miller and and, uh, and Theo Rossi and, and and a lot of folks who've uh, who's gone on to have some inter have some interesting solo careers. So interestingly, it is it is even though it's the most. Um, it's, 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 you don't really know what the hell is going on in Cloverfield. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that's, and, the, that's the game. That's, that's the game. That's the game. And it's just subtle rubber. And, and so because of that, they've been trying to tie what's going on in Cloverfield into a whole bunch of other franchises, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I find that kind of irritating. But, you know, that's the, that's the game. Right. Uh, I got an interesting faith based film here on 4K running the bases. Uh, with Brett Varvel, this is basically um, about a about a you know a, a, a coach, a baseball coach, and a uh, high school baseball coach who bumps into has conflicts with the uh, superintendent over matters of faith. It's very formulaic. It like most of these films are. It's basically the same trajectory. The thing that I'm curious about is why they're releasing it on 4K. Mm. Because I don't know, like 4K, most of the stuff we talk about, it's it, it's hitting three spots. It's either new movies that are just technically so on the edge that, you know, 4K accelerates it, or it's classic movies that have a certain nostalgia, or it's cult movies, just Franco movies and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where, you know, the, you're, you're a collector and you're particularly enamored of that filmmaker. I don't know what the 4K audience is. For a faith-based movie, most of these things get released on DVD, a few on Blu-ray, because they're penetrating um, the audience that, that typically goes to Walmart or that doesn't get their product on a streaming platform. So if there is no faith-based streaming platform, you're going to pick up what you see at Walmart or, at, you know, on Amazon or at Best Buy on DVD. Right. I don't know that there's an there's an audience of 4K adopters large enough to justify this. So I mm. find it a curious release, mm. but it's mm. interesting. Mm. I don't know. Indeed. I don't know where else to go with that. Uh, and then some comic stuff. Let me just hit the comic, uh, comic-y stuff real fast. Legion of Superheroes, DC Universe animated movie. Um, perfectly fine. Uh, love a lot of these characters. Uh, you know, Supergirl and, and John Johns and Brainiac and, you know, it's all, yeah, it's, it's, it's the usual array. I, um, the DC Universe stuff is, is going to start changing very soon because mm-hmm. I think they're, they're going to bring that under the umbrella of everything else. We've also got on 4K Return of Swamp Thing with Heather Locklear and Louis Jordan. Absolutely love this. I mm-hmm. can't stand the Swamp Thing movies, but I love this for only two reasons. You know mm-hmm. the two reasons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heather, Heather Locklear. The old Swamp Things with um, oh, uh, Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, with Adrian. That was another reason. But there you go. With, with yeah. yeah. And then uh, we got a 4K collector's edition of Bubba Hotep, uh, Don Coscarelli film with Bruce Campbell and Ossie Davis. Yeah. Uh, what an absolutely lunatic movie this is. That was so much fun. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Campbell is, is Elvis. Uh, <laughs> You're not dead. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting against a mummy. Oh my god! <laughs> it's, it's really great. It's just, it's really. I mean, it's this is one of those cult movies that just says I'm a cult movie. Yep. And and if you have a problem with that, then you, there are other movies you can go see. I am not going to try to be more legit. Like that's my problem with Cocaine Bear. Is <laughs> Cocaine Bear? Cocaine Bear is, is Sharknado, but it wants to pretend that it's not. Uh-huh. No. You're Sharknado. No, there's a reason for the. No, there's not. <laughs> there's no reason. There's no, no reason. Don't, 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 don't be legit. <laughs> the, the, and that's the beauty of Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep just says, um, we don't care. Yeah. We don't care. We're just going to go there. Um, let's see. Just a few others here. I'm going to end on the Oscar-y one. Uh, Station 11 is on 4K. Yeah, I watched um, that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, read yeah. The, I didn't read the graphic novel, but I did engage the... Uh, the, the interesting spirit. interesting movie. For, you know, Paramount put it on 4K. Um, interesting movie to put. I mean, it's a really psych... It's a very psychological, very intellectual post-apocalyptic yeah. Uh, story. Uh, Tim, you, your thoughts on stage well, 11. I like the way the, 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 the I like the way it moves around in 
time uh, because because it moves around in time in such a way that we're we're in the future and then we're back to when things first started to happen and you and you get to piece together who these characters are you know when, when we when we meet uh, Mackenzie uh, Mackenzie Davis as a, as a little girl and and I got to tell you Hamish Patel is just becoming one of my favorite 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 actors he's just this wonderful actor who you know really on the at the beginning of this uh, 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 whatever it is that wipes out most of humanity he runs into this little girl by happenstance and and, and, and they have this connection that lasts over the course uh, of, of the series uh, which lasts over the course of, of, of many many years uh, more than 20 years and we just sort of move back and forth in time but by by the time you get to the end it all sort of makes sense you sort of start to understand what happened and where we are now and I found it kind of wonderfully satisfying generally speaking I don't care for all of these post-apocalypse there are a bunch of them now the last of us is on yeah, out there yeah. uh there are a lot of them <laughs> and um uh and it, they're all pretty bleak and um and and they're all pretty can't win situations the last of us isn't right. finished yet but i did read the i did read that graphic novel series uh, and you know and, and we don't fare well in that so it'll be interesting to see how how they changed them a little bit uh from the original graphic novel. this was a pretty good one i liked it a lot mckenzie davis was particularly good uh, the Magnificent Seven is mm-hmm. on 4K as part of the uh, Shout Select line. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to kind of criticize the Magnificent Seven. This is just an epic film, even though it's adapted from the Seven Samurai. It's a beautiful adaptation. Uh, you know, Akira Kurosawa adapted a lot of non-Japanese stuff, Shakespeare and Ed McBain and Westerns and kind of brought all of that to Japan. And in, in exchange, a lot of people have been adapting Kuro Kurosawa into a lot of their films, Living being the latest example. Mm-hmm. So there's this wonderful intercourse that takes place uh, between Akira Kurosawa and Japanese culture on the one hand and Western culture, European and American on the other hand. It's been a, it's been a wonderful kind of dialogue between uh, you know, his cinema and other cinemas and other literatures. And The Magnificent Seven is one of those. Mm-hmm. And I always like to kind of give Kurosawa props for this because you really do feel him as a presence here if you if you know to look for it. Um, and you know what? I mean, it's just it's a it's a great it's a it's a great movie. What, a, what an amazing cast. Joel Brenner, Eli Wallach, Steve McQueen. I don't know how you go wrong. And they really did a number on the uh, on the 4K. They really mm-hmm. did wonderful work. John Sturge's direction uh, here as it is in, you know, The Great Escape and all of his other great movies is just beyond compare. Um, wonderful, wonderful widescreen filmmaking and tons of extras and, uh, you know, great commentary here featuring um, people who are now long gone. Mm. One of them being Walter Mirisch. Yeah. Walter Mirisch, James Coburn and Eli Wallach. Uh, so, you know, in the wake of Mirisch's passing, this is a fun commentary to listen to. Great movie. How's your feeling about, you know, the old magnificent seven. Oh, it, 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 it stands up solid. Uh, we were talking about Antoine Fuqua a minute ago. He did a, yeah. he did, he did a re- remake with Denzel and everybody a couple of years ago, which was kind of nutty. One of these sort of nutty um, uh, things where it there was really no reason for all of these people to be together. Well, I remember you, I went and saw it and I came back and I was trying to sum it up in my head. I said, it's, it's like, it's, you know, all these, well, it's kind of like, and I was mumbling <laughs> and you, and you, and you cut me off and you said, is it forced diversity? Yeah, yeah, and, and I and I said, yeah, it kind of is. Kind of is. You got the you got this Chinese guy, for example, for absolutely no reason with all of his Chinese weaponry. It just it's like you know, I I mean, 
I, I can buy these guys all being together in 2022, but no. Wild West, <laughs> no. this kind of rainbow coalition of heroes is not coming together. Well, it's weird because look, you're just making this up. And, and I know you, I know it's a movie and we're supposed to make things up, but you got to make up stuff that I can actually buy. And, and, and so that was like this unnecessary sort of thing that, that they did in that movie that, you know, Kurosawa uh, you, you knew not to do when he was. Yeah. And Ron, Ron was another one that was taking that's Lear, right? Uh, if I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, a really interesting dialogue. Uh, yeah. Great that you pointed that out. Our, our last 4k, uh, is the Fablemans. Yeah. Um, Tim, I put this entirely in your lap. Well, it's, here's the thing, because look, I've, I've softened on this and we didn't, obviously we talked about it at the, at the Oscar pre-show before in this town, love Steven Spielberg. And there's a pretty good chance this film and he might win Academy Awards. For me, the problem is in the title, the Fablemans. It's a fable. And for a film that, that, you know, ostensibly is supposed to reflect something of a biographical story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it, it, which is what I really would have loved, would have loved that. This is just a collection of stories that Steven Spielberg has been walking around this town telling for 50 years about his childhood and, and things to do with going to see The Great Escape and, and what little bit we've come to know about the dynamic between his mom and dad. And he just takes it and he squishes it into this big gloss covered what they used to do back in the day put put vaseline on the lens so you know something like that this entire movie is vaseline on the lens yeah uh the whole thing and and he and i'm just look man if that's what you want to do knock yourself out but you had an opportunity to 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 tell us all something true and piercing uh about yourself and where you came from but instead you told us a fable and um, that's unfortunate as far as I'm concerned. Is it an enjoyable movie? Fine. But if you want to know something about Steven Spielberg, I say watch Close Encounters, watch uh, E.T., uh, watch Catch Me If You Can, uh, watch a whole number of, of, of Steven Spielberg films that will tell you a great deal more about Steven Spielberg than The Fablemans will. I, uh, you know, I have a friend who's in the film, and so I, I, uh, I, I love aspects of it. I, uh, I certainly think there are some wonder. I mean, the, the, you know, the actors are all terrific. They sure. really are. But yeah, I, I, you know, uh, watching this, and and then of course Armageddon Time, and you've drawn that analogy many, many times. You did on stage the other day on Sunday as well. You know, James Gray is is, is uh, draws his circle. It's a little bit more than here's a story about me. Mm. It's Here's a story about this time and place, and I just happen to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there, and there is something to be said for that. And and um, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how all this uh, shakes out long term. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, TV. Shall we jump, jump into yeah, TV real quickly it. here? Um, I'm just going to jump onto a few things here. Uh, Furry Friends Forever, Elmo and Tango. This is just animated uh, Sesame Street. Stuff with Elmo skews super young. My daughter is now way too old for this, and she was a big Elmo fan at one point. Couldn't get that Elmo doll away from her. Uh, animated Elmo and and live action Elmo and all things Elmo. Uh, you know this is this has three Elmo episodes. Uh, new friends, new songs, new adventures. I don't know. I you know it's two hours of Elmo. I can't I can't handle that. Um, <clears throat> the Man Who Fell to Earth season one. Yeah. 
the new man who fell to earth uh have you watched it yeah 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 watched the whole the whole uh, yeah, yeah, our guy our guy our guy chewy there named yeah, uh, and uh, uh and uh produced by jenny lamette and, and alex christmas and, and it's an interesting sort of take on that whole story as a series i like the way they break it up it's it's very um it's sort of existential sci-fi. Uh, it's, it's what it is. Uh, it's science fiction. Our guy is fell to, falls to Earth, uh, and we watch him uh, develop and become the person that he's going to be. Not unlike in that David Bowie movie, yeah. Uh, as he's interacting uh, with Naomi Harris and her father, and, and, and she's a scientist, and and he needs her to help him uh, do this very complicated thing. That'll uh, as he as he basically learns what it is to be human what it is to be human, which is what this story has always really been about. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what is it to be human? Uh, an alien, uh, bit by bit, interaction by interaction, conversation by conversation, coming to understand what it means to be human. Uh, it worked, worked pretty good. The technology uh, is, is kind of interesting. It's pretty easy to follow. And uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I thought it came together pretty well. I agree. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. We also have the complete Showtime series City on a Hill with Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge, um, which takes place in the early 90s uh, in Boston. It's it's a little bit of a like the wire. There's a, there's a, a touch of the wire that, that runs through this. Uh, I actually think this is, um, you know, as a as kind of this overarching look at law enforcement and the justice system and the problems of, you know, modern urban America. I think especially at that, that kind of pivotal moment in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. In the nineties. Yeah. I, I, I thought this was pretty gritty and pretty tough. And I think it compares well with something like the wire, especially because it's, it's a much tighter uh, sort of focused narrative, but, I don't know your thoughts. Oh, no, yo, I agree completely, and it, it, it felt so true to the moment um, uh, that that early nineties. There were there were issues um, at, at that period at that period period uh, on the on the East Coast and in Boston in the nineties, and I thought this felt so true, and it looked so true. The production values are just uh, sharp. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it would be really easy to blow those production values because they're yeah. so close to the present day, but they don't. Uh, every car. Every outfit, those shoulder pads, it was just really, really great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the complete series of Longmire. We got a lot of these shows that I think it's interesting. You watch something like Longmire or even uh, what's the other one? Uh, oh, the, the, the Yellowstones. And the, well, the, the, the ones that precede Yellowstone. What was the other one uh, in Kentucky? Oh, oh gosh. Um, they're, they're all these modern Westerns. There have been, there've been a number of them. Yeah. Longmire is one of them. And they all kind of paved the way for Yellowstone. So I, I think in that regard, it's interesting. I didn't watch a lot of Longmire when it was on the air. Um, you know, I didn't even realize they were based on these mystery novels uh, mm-hmm. by Craig Johnson. So, um, you know, now that I know that, I'm like, all right, well, I can see that. You know, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is terrific. And, yeah, Lou Diamond is the thing that, that, that's yeah, really great in that series. Yeah. Really, really great. So, I mean, it's uh, catching up on this. I'm like, all right, well, I, I, I now I see where Yellowstone came from. Mm. Justified, that's the other show. Justified, Justified the one with Tim, right? Timothy Oliphant, yeah. Yeah, so so Longmire and Justified kind of paved the way for Yellowstone, I think. It, okay. they, they created an audience of people who are like, well, I think I want to see more people in 10-gallon hats driving cars. And, and, and it's probably why Walker, Texas Ranger got a reboot. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Great, we'll call. Them, yeah. Great call. So, yeah, so Longmire is an interesting rediscovery there. And this is the complete season on uh, the complete series, I should say, the complete series on Blu-ray um, uh, from Warner Brothers. And, uh, you know, uh, in the wake of Yellowstone, a nice rediscovery. 
Tim, do, do we really need a seventh season of Fear the Walking Dead? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I just, you know, they, they're really pressing that just as, as deeply as they can. Now, to be honest with you, I, I was only good for the original Walking, for the original yeah. Walking Dead and, and the spinoffs. I haven't been paying that much attention to. So I don't know what's going on. I, I take it that these are all these are all taking place at the same time, but in different places. Uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's the it's the it's the Walking Dead verse. Uh, the Walking Dead verse, very good, sir. You might have to, yeah, <laughs> might have to copyright that. Is this the one that takes place in in Southern California? Dude, I guess I, I, I think that's the one that takes place. In Southern you know California. what? I mean, it's all post apocalyptic. I can't. I I don't. I I I watch. Here here's how I go through this. I'll take it. I'll be like, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna watch the first episode of the season. I'm not gonna watch the last one. I'm not gonna watch the whole season. So I, I kind of play any mini miny mo. What episode am I gonna watch that will not require me to to have a lot of backstory and will not bait me with some kind of a horrible cliffhanger that'll mm. make me want to see something else? Mm. So I'll pick it like an episode of Rand and I'll watch it and I'm like I don't know when or where this takes place and it's uh, I get what it's doing but you know I'm not I'm not watching enough of it to become that invested mm-hmm. and then that's deliberate so so uh, you know it, it just but it just strikes me it's just been done to death and you, when you're on your seventh season of this series it doesn't feel like it's doing anything different and you watch the next episode and you're like it's doing the same thing yeah we're, 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 you, uh, as you said these you know the, the zombie verse and um, you know, it's, yeah it, it kind of all works the same yeah all right uh we also have the the new dynasty it's final season they 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 threw in the towel they cried uncle uh, <laughs> how many did they get? How many did they get? Though I mean, re- reworking that dynasty thing. Oh gosh, was it five, six, seven? Five, I, seven I can't, I can't so remember. Bad. I can't remember. Uh, this is the final one though, and it's the end of it. And thank goodness, it's just you know, it 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 needed to, it needed to go away. Uh, <laughs> it just it doesn't have what the original had. You know, no. and it was the same thing when they rebooted Dallas. It's it's missing the lightning in a bottle quality that they that they captured when they took a, a very, very specific cast of unbelievably popular people and brought them together. Yeah. And just packing a whole lot of like today's current beautiful people into a movie who, who don't bring um, who don't bring something else with them. It just it's you know, it, it just feels like treading water. It feels yeah. like it feels like I've gone to TJ Maxx and there's a and there's and then, oh, look at that. Those clothes that are hanging on the rack. I saw celebrities wearing those on the red carpet, but they don't look the same. <laughs> no, no, right? no, no, no. That's what it is. They're knockoffs because they're all cheap knockoffs. Look, it's yeah. it, you can only you can only create Jr. for instance, from Dallas, yeah. they, you know, Larry Hagman once um, the, the character that you call Jr. Jr. or Jr. the 15th or third or whatever. He's not Jr. And it's the same thing with these Dallas. You can only Joan Collins, you know, can only walk onto the set of Dynasty once. Linda Evans can only walk onto the set of Dynasty once. Everybody else is just going to be pretending to be them. Uh, and um, and you know I, whatever, but like you said, they got what five seasons? They got five seasons. Yeah. I, it, maybe maybe more. I I, I lost track. Yeah, I totally right. lost track. And I didn't I didn't do you know I didn't want to do the homework before the show. <laughs> uh, I was lazy. I'll admit it. I'll I'm admit it. Uh, really interesting uh, drama series here, The Split, uh, in its third season on BBC mm-hmm. uh, with uh, some really fine actors that I'm just not that familiar with. Uh, Nicola Walker, Annabelle Showley, Fiona Button, wonderful British names, Deborah Findlay, Stephen Mangan. I mean, I feel like I should be saying these names with an accent. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a um, this is this is a show that deals with the divorce 
the 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 legal ins and outs, the personal ins and outs of divorce in London. And uh, I didn't see series one or two, so I'm coming at this a little bit cold. But um, as a as a drama, as a well written and well acted drama, it yeah. certainly seems to uh, it seems to to have something going for it. Yeah, and um, you know the the whole. I mean, divorce is an ugly subject, no matter what, and, and especially to turn one into a TV series. I don't know how many people are going to want to watch that on a regular basis. But, you know, <laughs> somehow the British accents make it feel all so much like a like a detective show. Well, yeah, British divorces British get people. just as ugly as American divorces, and this is yeah. like it's a family thing. It's all these women, these divorce lawyers, and and their dad comes back. I watched, I watched, I did watch a little bit of the first season of that, and yeah, it was very, very sharp. Not unlike you know any of our uh, wonderful shows like that, going all the way back to the old LA Law. So completely on the opposite end of the man who fell to earth is Resident Alien, which is now in season two, um, which is uh, about an alien who has to somehow pretend to be an actual human and not only a human, but a physician. The trick is that this physician has a mission and the, the mission is to kill every single human being on the planet. <laughs> uh, so uh, if this is a very, very, this is a very odd comedy. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm not quite, it's, it's, it's comedy where I feel like I should be laughing more than I do. Uh <laughs> But I but I feel like it. But but somehow deep inside, I'm laughing harder than I actually am laughing verbally. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. 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 Have you seen any of this? Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. He's here. You know, he's got to get you got to got to wipe off the planet because, you know, they got to do that alien thing. We're going to take it. But he, but he, he likes us. He's, he's, oh, but, but, he, but he has to kill us all. <laughs> so, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's really it's so hysterically odd. Um uh, Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt in two seasons, both on Blu-ray now of oh, the Great. great. Yeah. yeah, the story of uh, Kath- of uh, Catherine the Great. Um, uh, not you know Catherine the Great, big big someone. My mother was particularly uh, a fan of, not because she was a great person, particularly you know Catherine the Great kind of paved the way for Putin. She was the one that you know paved the way for a lot of anti-Semitism and pogroms and, mm. and you know, uh, seized a lot of territory and really kind of geopolitically engineered uh, most of the, the problems that we are dealing with with Russia today. Mm. Catherine the Great did a lot of that. Yeah. But um, here's why my mother was a fan. They were born in the same village. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so you know my mother. My mother was like, you know, Catherine the Great, and I come from the same village. I'm like, I, you know what? That's fabulous, and that's terrific, and good for you. But you know, there's you might not want to spread that around too much. Well, here, here it's played in a you know yeah, sort of me tooy kind of yeah, feminist yeah. Uh, yeah, dynamic with Catherine having to deal with that nutty yeah. with Nicholas's uh, nutty guy. Who, Nicholas walks around naked in the show, <laughs> so it's just absolutely hysterical, it's funny, uh, uh, and but it's you know. No, uh, it does not represent the reality no, of, of no. The, in any shape whatsoever. It's 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 uh, walking a different sort of path. But you know, I get what they're doing. I'm a big nutty, nutty, nutty fan of Elle Fanning. I think she's just wonderful. She's terrific. She is. She's the she's the Fanning that really elevated, isn't it? Yeah, really good. Sister kind of kind of stalled there for a second. John Bernthal, season one, American Gigolo. I just don't get. I look at that guy's face, and I'm thinking to myself, we're comparing that face to young. Richard Gere's face, right? 
You know, I'm like, seriously? And, and, and maybe it's a dynamic thing. Maybe the suggestion is here that, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years on, uh, what is considered masculine and, and handsome and, and, and saleable as a gigolo is a rugged sort of blah, 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 whatever it is. Maybe that's what they're saying there. But all I know is uh, Richard Gere in that uh, original movie, I bought every second of it. I saw exactly why women would throw money at him. <laughs> of course you would. Of course. Let me, let me tell you about John Bernthal. I don't think there's going to be a second season of this series because mm. John Bernthal just got rehired to do an old character. Uh, he, as of today, breaking news, John oh. Bernthal is coming back to the new Daredevil series as the Punisher. As the Punisher. I thought I thought that that would happen. That's that is breaking. I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They, they the poster just released today and it's a picture of Daredevil in a new suit, by the way. You know, he's in he's in the new suit and Punisher next to him. And they're both just they got that comic look on their faces like we're going to kill every living thing in front of us. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> season one of Joe Pickett, as long as we're. Talking back about these um, these modern westerny things, uh, Joe Pickett is something kind of went off of. I, I didn't catch this at all, mm. and um, it takes place in Wyoming, and uh, it is definitely one of these modern western things that we're just talking about. Also based on a book series by C.J. Box, mm. and uh, uh, you know, I, it, it's um, it's okay. It's very. Um, it's still very much in that in that kind of Longmire justified pocket. It's a little bit it's it's a little bit there. So we'll see where it goes. It's a little more um it's a little more gosh, uh old school, rusticy. It's a little more hard, it's a little more you know, rooted in the western thing. Mm. But uh David Allen Greer. Yeah, I was gonna say David Allen Greer shows up in this thing yeah. with, that big old, with that big old white beard, as I sit here with my big old white beard. Uh, which I which, which I kinda which I kinda dug. I thought it was interesting. He's a game warden. Yeah. This guy, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Uh I mean, there. I like so much of what he's doing at this stage in his career. Oh I really yeah. Do. Yeah, yeah. David he's, Allen. He's not he's not looking to be a sidekick he's not even looking oftentimes to be a funny man he's just looking to just do some interesting work yep. and he kind of is sort of liberated him um the complete first season uh pretty little liars original sin this is a new hbo max spinoff from the whole pretty little liars thing i don't know if we need more pretty little liars tim this is just a, look this inclination to just make another buck by spinning it off or or stretching it out i, I just i just you know I, I wish that that inclination wasn't there yeah. just you have the power just do a new thing yeah. do a new thing do a new right. thing I, I just wish that that would be uh but you know there it's not like there aren't times when i haven't loved that yeah. um uh i can think of a few series where the spinoffs i've liked actually more uh than the original i'm a, I'm a ridiculous nut of the the entire star uh, uh stargate universe you know all that kind yeah. of stuff you know yeah. and, and, and i gotta tell you some of those spinoffs um, are better than the original story. Yeah. There was yeah. a movie and then and all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, I wish they'd just do a new thing. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, we've, we have lastly on the TV front, and then we'll wrap out with some some new movies that are not uh, 4K. Uh, the Adventures of Batman, mm. uh, two discs, uh, animated show. You know, the, the original um, animated Adventures of Batman is... Perfectly fine. Uh, it 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 dates reasonably well, I I guess. But um, 
you know, the, the film, I mean, for, you know, Mark used to always rip on me for all the, how much I love the, the old filmation animated shows, uh, you know, and they made 34 episodes of this thing. And I, I actually think they're, they're solid. Um, well, I love that Bert and Adam is their voices. Uh, it, it's Casey Kasem is Robin. Oh, really? Casey Kasem does Robin here. Uh, that, that's not Burton Adam. <laughs> no, it's Casey Kasem as Robin. Um, but but what's funny is that Casey Kasem first did Robin. This is why I, what I what the, the a little bit of trivia. Casey Kasem, who of course did Shaggy on uh-huh. Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. Well, there was one of those Scooby Doo episodes where remember where they meet like all oh, they meet the Harlem Globetrotters and they meet the Three Stooges and they meet, you know, <laughs> right we started just it was ridiculous we started throwing guest stars in that make no sense whatsoever and in one of them Scooby Doo and the gang they they meet they meet Batman and Robin and for some reason my adult self looked back and said son of a bitch now I know why it bothered me that Shaggy and Robin sounded exactly alike. (laughs) Casey didn't do a new voice. No. It bothered me, but I didn't know what bothered me at the time. And then I found out that Casey Kasem did them both. So anyway, when they they did this standalone thing, it was Casey Kasem doing doing Robin. I had no idea. Absolutely, yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, this is perfectly fine. Um, it, it, It probably feels closer to the comic Batman than just about anything else that's ever been done. So I give Filmation props for for that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about some of the newer movies uh, that did and did not get love from the Oscars. Uh, let's start with uh, Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Wow, uh, man, it just kind of came and 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 God. went and uh, really really fast. Look, I, look, I I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. Um, uh, I appreciate that young actress. She's wonderful. She was actually quite good. I saw it. it, it she was actually quite good. Uh, very very effective. But I got to tell you, in the black community. The casting of that young British actress uh, as yeah. our beloved Whitney Houston from the hood. Yeah, yeah. That was problematic, man. I can't look, I, maybe this is a crazy way for people to think, but I can't tell you. I did not talk to everyone like engaged about that movie. That's the first thing that, that came out of their mouth. Is that 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 chick's that chick's not from around here. Yeah. <laughs> it is is and I, people are very people take these things very personally, man. They really really do. There was a bit of an issue frankly with Cynthia Erivo playing Aretha Franklin I in that know. television. That was I was going to bring that up too. I was going to bring that up too cuz Jennifer Hudson yeah. did not face that blowback and Jennifer Hudson I thought did a much better job. Yeah, in the, in the feature film, yeah. There 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 has been this conversation in this moment about British actors taking over a lot of iconic American roles, mm-hmm. black and white. Right? Mm-hmm. David Oyelowo playing uh, Martin Luther King, uh, you know, for a moment, every single iconic American superhero was British. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man was British and Superman was British and Batman was British. Uh, Lincoln was British. Yeah. Right. So, so this, you know, uh, God love him. We love Chewie. We love man who fell to earth, mm-hmm. but 12 years a slave. Mm-hmm. Chewy was British, right? Mm-hmm. So there, so there. I, I know what you're saying. There, there was this moment where everybody kind of felt like, you know, what could could some American actors uh, take over here? And it, and it's not that the uh, the performances weren't great, but they were great. Some, there is something when you are rooted in the culture mm-hmm. that you are portraying that you bring an extra layer of of depth to and, it. and it, 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 depth and understanding and it, 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 yeah. and even. 
even if it's just about the audience, the, the audience is sitting there with this idea in their head. And, and, and the idea is the idea, and, and, and you can't get it out. Um, uh, so I don't know. It, it, there it is. It is. But nevertheless, she was quite good in that movie. It's a well-made movie, but it's, but it's bumping up against a cultural dynamic that, that I think some filmmakers might want to start paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, well, here's another one. I got no love from the Oscars. She said, and I thought this was going to be one like a major Oscar contender for a minute. Man, did I get that one wrong? Blu-ray DVD combo set movies anywhere code. Uh, you know, basically, it's all the president's men, except it's about the New York Times journalist, the two women who blew open the Harvey Weinstein scandal. And I think this is I think this is better than all the president's men. I think this is better than um, uh, what was it? The one about the um, oh, the insider, maybe uh, uh, no, which one? the priest abuse scandal. I, oh, uh, uh, spotlight. Spotlight. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I think this is a better depiction of investigative journalism than either of those movies. Granted. The scandal that it's depicting is very inside Hollywood. It doesn't travel as well with general audiences as something that is about, you know. Oh, the, um, the tobacco scandal or something like that. Yeah, The Catholic Church or Nixon. So we're dealing with Harvey Weinstein. And how many people really want to pay attention to Harvey Weinstein right now who's still in the news and still going to prison? Mm. So Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan, though, are phenomenal. I think it's an unbelievable screenplay. I think it's incredibly well directed. Um you know, I, I just I just think it's a it's a monu- monumental effort. Uh, it just didn't get any love. And that's kind of sad to me. Uh, makes me sad for Annapurna as well, who, who produced it. But, you know, Andre Brower is phenomenal in this. Samantha Morton is unreal, unreal. Yeah. Samantha Morton yeah. has one scene. It's almost even just one monologue and she steals the whole movie's phenomenal. And uh, and, you know, Ashley Judd plays herself. And yeah. something to be said for that. So, I mean, I still think she said is an unbelievable movie. I still recommend it. But, man, it got no Oscar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the ones that did not uh, rise. Um, uh, the Inspection. Uh, interesting movie. The Inspection has gotten some independent love. Yeah. Gets some Oscar love. Um, but I, I think this is a film really worth paying attention to. This is a uh, um, uh, Elegance Bratton is the the very talented young man, first time filmmaker, mm-hmm. wrote and direct based on his own experience, mm-hmm. which is a story of a guy who was a uh, who's a drug addict and homeless and gay and had to somehow lie about all of that to turn his life around, had this really horrible passive aggressive relationship, kind of codependent and passive aggressive relationship with his mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he wants to turn his life around by joining the Marines. But you can't say I was gay. Uh, or I am gay uh, and I've been homeless and I'm a drug addict. You can't you can't say those three things and get into the Marines. Nope. So so you've got to lie. And uh, a large large part of this movie is basically still the first part of Full Metal Jacket. It's mm-hmm. boot camp stuff, boot camp sadism, fighting with the with the. But it but it goes into some really interesting directions. It's very revealing and it's a really well made film. And I think Elegance Bratton has some has some real chops. I think he's going to be a, a really interesting filmmaker coming. Yeah, yeah. real Union very strong in this movie. She got a lot of love on the independent oh, scene uh, for for really mom. strong. And Bokeem Woodman, yeah, Bokeem, we playing that playing that um, that drill sergeant. Uh, um, uh, oh, so very straight up. Um, who was who, who, who's our guy in, uh, in Full Metal Jacket? Arlie Army. Arlie Army. Arlie Army. Straight up Arlie Army in that thing. Very strong. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah. 
Another film that didn't get any love, Bones and All. Yeah, uh, I hate it, this movie. It didn't deserve any love. Look, I love uh, I love our girl in that movie, but uh, but that movie was just foul and disgusting. Hey, Taylor Russell is amazing and wonderful. Timothy yeah. Chalamet, you know, I can I can give it. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance in this movie is disgusting. He is disgusting. He is so off putting. Everything about his character just made my stomach turn. And, 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 and Luca, this is Luca Guadagnino. Yeah, in, intentionally so, but so effective at it that it, um, it that it was extremely effective at it. And I, and I don't recommend it. Don't watch it. It's disgusting. No. It's a it's a people eat movie. Just so you know, it's about cannibalism. Yeah, it's about it's about it's about young lovers who who bond over the fact that they have this like whatever genetic mutation or whatever it is, but they are compelled to eat people. And yeah. how do you eat people without killing people? Because they know that killing is wrong. So you hang out with other people who kill people and then you just eat the people that they kill yeah i mean it, it winds up being just foul and disgusting and and i just i ugh. it's just yeah. a it's just a nasty movie it yeah. really is and taylor russell's wonderful and she almost saves it but man what a nasty movie yeah. uh the old way this is an interesting you know nick cage is just making these cheapy knockoffs and and this is another one but i will say uh you know there there are elements to this this is like if you did a low budget um remake of unforgiven with nick cage in it hmm? this is basically that movie starring the girl who was uh from the remake of firestarter the reboot of firestarter playing his daughter Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Nick Searcy, who I know is tremendous. Nick Searcy owns this movie. Like yeah. n- n- Nick Searcy is acting in a different movie from everyone else. Nick is acting in a real movie and he's kind of daring everybody else to come up to his level. And you can tell everybody else is, 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 is sitting there going, but Nick Cage is in the movie too. Shouldn't I be <laughs> acting down to Nick? Why do I? No. But and in fairness to Nick, he, he's pretty good. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's just, it, it's as you said, 25 years ago, yeah, you know, with Nick Cage, with, with his status, the status of Nick Cage 25 yeah. years ago, this would have been a, you know, like you said, Unforgiven. It's Unforgiven. Yeah. And Nick Cersei, Nick Cersei is still in Unforgiven. He's, he's like, let's just do it anyway. Let's just do it like it's Unforgiven. Um, and it, 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 I, didn't, I didn't think it was bad at all. I rather enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it, it, it amazes me the people who show up in some of these movies. Like if I were to say to you, oh, dude, there's a new movie. It's got Robert De Niro and John Malkovich in it. <laughs> Wouldn't you normally go, oh, that's going to be an Oscar contender. But somehow when you stick Jack Houston in it and you call it Savage Salvation with the with the tagline payback is dirty. Yeah. What? It's like now this is some cheesy B movie straight to video. What is this? What are you doing, Robert De Niro and John Malkovich? Why are you? What are you doing? Ugh. Oh gosh, it's just. And I, and I, and I like Jack Houston too. You know, it, it's it's but, but but how could this just not uh, come together as a real movie at all? Even you'd figure with John and Robert in it, it would be a real movie just because you're walking around in it. It's a vigilante revenge drug movie. That's yeah. all it is. And we've, we and they and they make like fifty of those a year. And I don't know how they get the money to make them. Well, it's said in the, it has to do with the whole opioid thing. You know, somebody overdoses yeah. it. You know, and you know, and you know, Robert puts on that he's a what sheriff? What is he a sheriff or something uh, yeah. like that? They're, these sheriffs they're going to go out. and They're going to do what they're going to do. And, I am loving what David Harbour's doing with his career. His whole his whole spring springing out of Stranger Things, you know, the in the in in the we we have a ghost on Netflix, which mm-hmm. I think is where he's the ghost and he has no verb, no words, no dialogue, and the whole thing is terrific. And I gotta say, man, Violent Night is is just a hoot. Uh, I didn't think I'd like this movie um, where he plays. It's basically Die Hard with Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, he, I, he, you know what? David Harbour just has so much fun with this part. He really, really, really does. Um, 
It's the, you know, the guys from John Wick said, hey, why don't we remake Die Hard? Well, that's boring. They've already made Die Hard. How do we make it different? I don't know. Make the Bruce Willis. Die Hard was a Christmas movie, right? Yeah. Well, what if, what if, what if, what if we're making Die Hard, except instead of Bruce Willis, it's literally Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. That's how this movie happened. Um, it's funny. Yes. Like Azamo's funny. Yes. It's good. Yes. Hard, it, hard it, I predicted it will become a Christmas cult classic. It absolutely <laughs> will. It really will. It absolutely. Too much fun. Uh, another faith-based movie from uh, Pure Flix. Nothing is impossible. Same deal. Uh, except this time, the same deal as the other one. This is a basketball movie. It's the same deal. Mm. Uh, but it's not on 4K. It's on DVD. Like I said, this is the way you market and sell these movies to that to that audience. Um, anyway, you know, life's not turning out as planned and, you know, faith saves him. And it's it's that trajectory, which I find tedious because these movies are all the same. But you know what? They they elevate themselves very often. And they do in this case by hiring real actors to fill out some of the parts. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, it's not the lead actors, but they pull in Stephen Bauer and Harry Lennox. Mm-hmm. And that makes the difference. Stephen Bauer and Harry Lennox are real actors. They bring some gravitas and it elevates the movie. So yep. it's, you yep. know, yep. nothing is impossible. It and actually kind every of scene they're in is just a little bit better. It is. Uh, it's just, which is a, it's an interesting thing. It tells you why you want good actors. <laughs> and they just make it you. all a little bit better. For sure. Uh, what remains? Interesting movie. What remains? Um I missed this in theaters. I know it was in theaters. This was a Gravitas release. Um, Interesting little um, low-budget family uh, intimate drama. Mm. Good performances. Kellen Lutz, Anne Heche. Andrea Riseborough, which people are talking about. Yes. Maybe. Is this Anne Heche's last performance? Oh, I wonder if it is. I feel like it is. I mean, it's the, it's a little bit of a mystery. It's a little bit of a kind of a family drama. But I'm looking at this. Anne looks terrible in this, by the way. Mm. Um, I, and that was the thing. I'm thinking, is this Anne Heche's last performance? I think it probably is. Mm. And that's kind of sad because I wish it were something a little more distinguished. Uh, mm-hmm. um, speaking of Bruce Willis, is, I don't know if this is his last performance, technically. Detective Night Redemption? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Do we have any others sitting on the shelf, or is this... It's a good question. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. we'll have to have to do a little research here real quick and, and see for Bruce. Well, everybody knows about Bruce's situation. It's gotten, yeah. gotten worse. Which I suppose we, we, we knew that would happen, right? Well, this is technically the second film of a trilogy. I don't know if that means that there's a third one that he's in. Well, there's but... Detective Night Redemption, Detective Night Independence, which I guess would be the, would that be the second one? And then the Detective Night Rogue, which was the one from a couple of years ago. So is this the third? Is this the I second or the that. third? There might be one more. There might be one more. And then there's another movie called Assassin. Uh, because this one is dated 2023. This is dated this year. It, Redemption? They, it, this yeah, this year? They they say this is dated this year, so I don't I don't know. Anyway, it's a detective. It's a detective film, and he plays you know James Knight. I presume then that because it is Detective Knight, he is the central character in all of them. So I assume there has to be another one after this. Um, detective Knight Independence. There is one called Detective Knight Independence. I just can't yeah. figure out which which order they come in. Yeah, but the first one is Detective Knight Rogue. That's for sure. I remember that one. I saw that one. This is uh, this is about a bunch of guys. You know, it's just, it's a it's a it's a little diehardy as well, um, ironically, and it's about a you know guys who are using Christmas themed persona to terrorize a city. Um, so you know, it's the Christmas bomber is what the guy calls himself. Anyway, um, 
And, you know, it's uh, I got to say, the thing that makes me so sad is that now that we know what Bruce is going through, you Mm -hmm. can see it in the acting, Mm -hmm. see it in the performances. And it's really, really I'm glad he's getting the work, but it makes me sad. Our Ray Green wrote a wrote a great uh, review of one of his more recent and later films. Uh, I think it was I think it was the one called The Wrong Place, if I'm not mistaken, Um, uh, which was, you know, Mm -hmm. 2022. And and, 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 and Ray pointed out how um, some of that actually actually lent itself to the performance that, that Bruce was still able to engage in in that particular yeah. film. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You can, you can kind of, kind of see it. Uh, you can kind of see it. And I'm, I'm not sure I want to experience all that. One more called the assassin or assassin. Uh, yeah. the and, Bruce. <laughs> and speaking of another Bruce Willis performance here, and this is why I'm trying to figure out the order of these things, because this one is dated last year. So this was clearly made earlier. Mm. This is Travolta and Bruce Willis. By the way, Travolta in, in Die Hard is just to die for. Mm. If you haven't seen it, watch Die Hard, the, 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 the Kevin Hart thing on, on uh, Amazon. It's Amazon, not Amazon. Like, okay. Amazon. Um, because it is it really is. Uh, he's you know, he the whole idea is he goes to this action school, this action star school. ASS action star school you know, to 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 be able to um be the be be an action star so that the the, the crazy director that's uh you know that does all these action films will put him in and make him an action star and and it's John Travolta is the guy who runs the action star school and he's out of his mind he's insane all he does is torture poor Kevin Hart and and it's just it's it's very funny Travolta's really good in it um oh boy it's just so great anyway Travolta and Bruce Willis uh for the once great Chuck Russell mm. in Paradise City um and and it's weird because looking at the other film, looking at the night film versus this, it I you can tell that Bruce is a little sharper in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and here Bruce Willis plays a bounty hunter, and and uh, uh, you know he's he's uh, everyone thinks that it takes place in Hawaii, right? It's a beautiful Hawaiian backdrop. Mm. Anyway, but he's a, he's a bounty hunter, and everybody thinks that he's dead, and that he's you know he's lost, and they can't find the body, and um, they they. Uh, there's some twists and and some interesting things that happen with Stephen Dorff and um, Travolta plays the heavy really beautifully and it, it's it's not bad actually Chuck Russell has made better films mm-hmm. and uh, he's a better director than this I, I wish that they kind of give him some some better stuff but um, it ain't bad it feels a little bit like what a studio would have done a better job with maybe 10 15 years ago yeah well you know Chuck Russell knocked out to what the mask uh, yeah, a bunch of things. Uh, scorpion uh, eraser uh, uh, scorpion king eraser all that good stuff yeah. didn't he didn't he also do uh, was it Con Air was Con Air his yeah that's one of his one too. Of those, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the new father of the bride, the Cuban father of the bride with uh, Andy Garcia and uh, Gloria Estefan? How, how I mean, it plays, uh, uh, you know, they've, they, they, they've done this with a couple of them now. They had the uh, Latinx uh, one day at a time yeah. uh, uh, remake. This, of course, was is, 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 uh, is, uh, is father of the bride uh, movies, number one. And, and yeah. so they're, uh, you know, the old, old, old movies. And then, of course, the Steve Martin movies. Yeah. Uh, and this, you know, they've they've they're doing they did. Uh, it's, it's OK. It, it's all the exact same beats. You know, I don't I. I don't, thing. I, I don't I, know why it's necessary if it hits all the exact same beats, <laughs> which it does. But, you know, there it like is. It plays and you could do it 20 different ways and you could do a different version for every different neighborhood and culture and state and country. And, sure. you know, you could set it in 20 different decades and it's still going to play. But uh, I don't want to watch them all. No, it's, <laughs> I just because it's literally the same movie. You know? yeah. yeah. So I don't know. 
Uh, the Loneliest Boy in the World is on Blu-ray uh, from Wellgo. That you know, Wellgo does veer out of their their martial arts and their their Asian centric stuff once in a while. And uh, this is a really interesting kind of modern zombie fairy tale. Mm. It's a weird little genre movie, but it's got charm mm. and it's it's well made. And uh, I think it's I, I think it's worth watching. Um, I it, it, you know, I would have liked to see this get a little bit more play on, in theaters. I think this is the kind of thing that might have had a life in, in theaters mm-hmm. if they were sufficiently open. So since they're not might want to check it out yeah. uh, from Wellgo, the loneliest boy in the world, a sweet little kind of humanistic uh, zombie drama comedy. Uh, called Jane with Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver mm-hmm. uh, abortion drama set in Chicago 1968 um, basically about the um, about a woman who goes from being uh, anti-abortion to being an abortion rights activist and helping women basically uh, get abortions through this underground network run by mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver true story actually yeah. um, that period and- right before Roe v. Wade yeah yeah Leading up to leading up to an into uh, Roe v. Wade, I you know, and and it deals with the network, the Janes, which was you know the I think there was a documentary about them as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think it's uh, as a drama, it doesn't quite fire on all cylinders. It it could and should be a little better. But um, you know, if you if you if you can separate yourself from the politics enough, I think there's uh, some good performances to hang on to. Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver are both particularly good. Mm. Uh, Poppy only on DVD. This is a, uh, uh, an actually really kind of a, a sweet little, um, I think it's an Australian film, uh, about a young woman with down syndrome and trying to take care, take charge of her own life. And it's a, it's a coming of age film. It's got some, you know, sweet humor in it. I I I I do feel like it probably needs an extra something, but boy, this young actress uh, Libby Hunsdale is yeah. just absolutely wonderful. She really is. Uh, she's 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 got nuance. She knows she knows exactly what she's doing, and uh, it's really it's really really nice to see. Uh, you know, it, it's so rare that we have actors with Down syndrome who have a chance to actually act and 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 you know be themselves and and so i i really do welcome comes along every now and again and frankly i've never been disappointed not a single day yeah. uh who's the kid in that series back in the 80s um yeah corky, I, corky. yeah, yeah he life, was, corky, life, life, go, life goes on or yeah. whatever it was called yeah. yeah yeah same thing and then of course the amazing french kid who was in uh the uh Jacob van dormel film the seventh day yeah so, yes. the eighth day the eighth day yeah which uh who was wonderful and i interviewed him i interviewed him and daniel Oteuil, and they were amazing mm. it was just it was really really wonderful uh, last couple here, real quick. Uh, Rock Dog Three, Battle of the Beat. I don't, I, I don't know why we needed Rock Dog Two, <laughs> no, uh, but there it is. Rock Dog Three. They've made a third one, so I guess somebody's watching these things. Um, you know what? I, I what, what can I tell you? He's still playing the guitar, and he's still Rock Dog. It's, <laughs> it's it is what it is. Um, and then last one here, American Murderer, which is uh, based in an actual story. So what I love about this is Tom Pelfrey, because mm-hmm. Tom Pelfrey, who has just not really broken out since that amazing season of. Uh, of Ozark, uh, Tom Pelfrey is uh, is is just equally spectacular here alongside Ryan Felipe, Adina Menzel, mm. the great Oscar-nominated Jackie Weaver, who I had such a great pleasure of uh, giving an award to some years ago. Um, so it's a really really rock solid cast in a film that kind of needs a little bit of help. So go out there and and, and help it along. Yeah. Um, Tom Pelfrey plays a con man, and. Um, 
and he's he's being chased by the uh, FBI agent played by Ryan Philippe. And uh, it's a wonderful cat and mouse story. All really true. They embellish this very, very little. And um, it's the way that it escalates is very methodical. It's well written. The characters are well drawn and the performances are just absolutely superb. So uh, and and good good work from uh, the director Matthew Gentile mm-hmm. who, uh, who wrote and directed it. So um, you know it's it's an interesting thing. There's even a little short, which is their proof of concept, how they raised the money for it and everything. It's a nice uh, it's a nice little film, nice little film on Blu-ray. American Murderer, Tom Pelfrey and Ryan Felipe, and Idina Menzel and Jackie Weaver as well. So uh, with that, Tim, we'll we'll close it this week. Yeah. Uh, I think we've we've uh, somewhat caught up. We still got a, ba- a little bit of a backlog here. We'll get to next time some Jet Li movies and some other stuff. Some of the LBGTQ stuff. Yes. Yeah, um, when we come back, will it be pre or post? It'll be post Oscar, I guess, right? Yeah, Oscars are next week, so, so we'll be we'll be post Oscars. What do you think is going to win? Seriously, What's I think I think you know, I think you're right about the Fablemans or All Quiet on the Western Front leading. I in my heart, I am deeply hoping that for no reason whatsoever, other than it's a really great movie that I that I think that it's it's, 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 it's among my top three movies of the year. Uh, Top Gun, Maverick. Um, um, I'm really I, hoping that a bunch of people are just going to vote their gut and uh, and say, Tommy, you got it. You know, it, it's weird. Everyone's saying everything everywhere all at once, which swept the Spirit Awards, swept all the Guild Awards. And, uh, you know, it didn't sweep the BAFTAs. Uh, all Quiet swept the BAFTAs. Um, but, but you know, Fableman's also won the Audience Award in Toronto. Mm. And and I can't, I, I just can't help it. And maybe it's a generational divide. I don't like everything everywhere all at once. Love Michelle Yeoh. Watch the, the Michelle Yeoh Kicks Ass series right now on Criterion Channel. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's all of her, it's, I mean, it's everything from Crouching Tiger to all of her 1980s stuff, Royal Warriors, Magnificent Warriors, the phenomenal yes madam which has the greatest finale with cynthia rothrock you can't imagine how awesome it is heroic trio executioners the stunt woman by ann hoy which is not a great transfer uh magnificent warriors is a beautiful transfer but anyway it's all on criterion right now watch it they're all great movies i think they're all better movies than everything everywhere all at once which i just i just don't care for but it's because it's too frenetic it's like a giant tiktok to me I can't imagine that that with as many detractors as it has, that it's going to get enough twos and threes to be able to win on the preferential ballot. Mm. But if I but I could be wrong, you know, it just feels to me like Fablemans has the green the green book vote. Yeah, well, it, 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 it's, that, it's, it's a phenomena. It's a phenomena. You, I got to tell you, that smacked me uh, like nothing. But but you nailed it. Uh, it. It is a very specific sort of dynamic, and, uh, and it's, it's a Hollywood thing. It has to do with that interesting mix of all the new people who are in that academy now. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, that's a, that that really sort of sort of. But I, yeah, um, um, uh, all quiet. Uh, not all quiet. Do you have you moved on from that? I, you know what I mean. I, the thing about all quiet is. It's uh, gosh, it it you know I, the the people who voted for Parasite might vote for All Quiet, right? right? Because they don't have that. It's nominated for nine awards, man. I mean, it's it's In, including that international award, which is why international award. I mean, it's it is the only the only every. It's definitely going to win best international film. Mm. There's no doubt about it. Only seven films prior have been nominated for both best picture and best international film. Every one of them has won international. Every single one. And the last one also won Best Picture. That was Parasite. Mm. Um, I think there was another one since Parasite. I think something else was nominated for both. Uh, but anyway, but maybe Minority was it Minority? That without it. Oh, I uh, can't remember. But there, but there, there. You know the the the, mo- the the interesting thing to me here is that only two foreign language films 
um, have ever received more than nine nominations as Best Picture. One was Roma, one was Crouching Tiger. Mm. So there's a lot of love for Michelle Yeoh, and and she may just carry everything everywhere by herself. Mm. There may be people who just hold their nose and go, I don't like the movie, but I love Michelle Yeoh, so I'm going to vote for it anyway. And that may do it. That mm. may well do it. That may push it over. Uh, but I just also can't help but feel like there are people, there's an old school guard that says Steven Spielberg deserves one more. Mm. We're going to immortalize him with this. We're going to push him out of the two-time winner crowd into the three-time winner crowd. We're going to push him up there with John Ford and William Wyler, and we're going to we're going to really make him one of the all-time gods of the Oscars. And, you know, the, the film about his own life is the one to do that with. And the Daniels are going to be back again. They're going to make many more movies. You know, mm. it, I think there may be a feeling like, eh, they'll be back again. But Spielberg, let's give it to him for legacy. I could be wrong. Oh, those, those, those things happen all the time uh, yeah. in, in this time. So, you know, yeah, you, you, you're probably not wrong at all. It'll be interesting. And we'll talk about it on the, when we talk go Talk about it on the next show. All yeah. right, everybody. We'll see you then. 